Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am joined by fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. I'm. I'm glad to be back. How's it going up there in Knoxville? stormy i ran in the storm today i was very annoyed i've been sick the last week um just really don't do well being sick not being productive anything like that it's just not not in my dna so that's driven me driven me mad if you will and uh it started pouring down rain all day today and i'm i i I guess i can now describe myself as a avid runner um i'm pretty pretty committed pretty good shape running wise and uh I was just annoyed and terrified that I was going to lose all my progress um, by taking a week off, just being sick. So I just said, I'm running today. Screw it. And I, I respect the dedication. Yeah. And I ran and I did my three miles and it was good. And I actually did a lot better than I thought I would do. And when I was doing my cool down, it just, the bottom fell out and just poured, poured, poured. And I just got soaked. And now I'm kind of concerned that I'm going to wake up really sick tomorrow too for, for my efforts, but um, hey, price you pay when you're a warrior like Chase Thomas. Yeah, the great ones play hurt, as I've always been told. <laughs> what was the last time you worked out, Matt? What, what was the last thing you did? Oh, dude, I haven't worked out. Honestly, well, I was in a nice little push-ups and sit-ups regimen. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe start of the pandemic, you know? We're talking, <laughs> you know, that it did 10 months ago. <laughs> like, like, easily. Like, I... Uh, I feel like yard work is the best, uh, the best exercise I get and walking the dog. That's about it. I need to, uh, step my game up. I like it. I like it. See, tennis, tennis is a solid, uh, solid exercise. Underrated game. Can I tell you, um, can I tell you why tennis is just not, not my thing? Why is that? When I was, I want to say first grade. Um, I have to ask my mom to be sure, uh, but I, uh, <laughs> i um i went my name not my next door neighbor my i guess he was like three houses down was like a former really great tennis player i think he was professional for a while and i went to tennis camp his tennis camp in stone mountain and uh i was really into baseball i was really into basketball i was really into every sport not tennis and i didn't want to play tennis told my mom and didn't want to play tennis had to play tennis and I proceeded to every time the ball was hit on my side, I would just rear back and hit it over the wall. Like I had no <laughs> interest in hitting it into the, the whatever inside the lines. That was not, I didn't understand the point. I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is ridiculous. I feel you when I was young, like it, tennis, the whole point of tennis was just home run derby. Just get, just get that shit over the fence. That was like, that was yeah. two different baseball players, like King Griffey Jr. stance and just try to go yard. I mean, that's, that's how I was. It just, it wasn't uh it wasn't my thing so tennis tennis is not my thing but as an adult i I think you should reconsider it's like uh it's a it's athletic but it's not it's not basketball like i feel you gotta be in a whole nother shape to play basketball like especially if i play it every day like our bodies especially if i play with anyone that was good at all like i'm with 10 people and they all played in high school or some played in college like i'm i'm just out of my league at this point i'm just i'm just in terrible shape like I need to play with just people, just just random people at uh at George Pierce Park or something. Where is George Pierce Park? 
Oh, that's the uh, that's the childhood park there. Uh, old Swanee shout out. Okay. I was like, I, I feel like I have a pretty good. I remember a lot of different Gwinnett County parks, but I was like, I don't remember that one. Um, little name, little name drop for all our North Gwinnett yeah, listeners. Well, hold there. on, Mountain Park Park is where it's at. Everybody <laughs> knows that. Everybody knows that. Um, so we're going to be doing as we do every week during this off season, some sort of special episode um, that we're kicking around uh, during the week. And this week we wanted to. Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman had a very heated discussion on their pod this week i don't know if you heard that but um Stu wrote the piece on the athletic and they had a they had a conversation on the audible um a very good college football podcast where they got testy with each other uh, about their their rankings and i'm uh, i'm nervous matt are we gonna get testy with each other about our rankings because I, I think you're we looking might at mine right now. i think we might um so i actually didn't see so bruce feldman came out with his list as well i don't know if he did his list but i know he was on the podcast and they had their own list and they talked about that. Okay. List yeah. It looks like he did do his list as well. I only saw uh, Stuart Mandel. I'm going to have to check out Bruce Feldman as well. Um, so what would you rather do? Would you rather start with one and work down or go from 10 and work up? Um, I guess we should start with 10. You think so? What do you think? You, you think yeah. you start with one? No, you know what? I think we should start with one. It's like the opposite of the other stuff because of what we're doing. Um, I think it makes more sense to actually start with one to see where we're at and um, all that good stuff. I think we should start with the obvious because like, there's no intrigue about who number one is for both of us. Like, We all know who number one is. I think it gets more interesting the farther back you go. No doubt. Yeah, uh, we can do that. Number one on both of our lists, top 10 coaches right now. You're not going to believe this, folks. Nick Saban uh, is number one still. Yeah, I feel like it's it's not even really worth our time. Nick Saban is clearly number one. He's probably number one ever. So I, I don't know who you would really rank ahead of him. Like you could, you could say Bear Bryant or something if you wanted to. Or I don't know. Is Bear Bryant definitely the number one? Is Bobby Bowden? I don't even really feel like he's in that conversation. So, yeah, Nick Saban, obviously, the obvious number one. Yeah, I would actually put Urban over Bowden and probably Bear Bryant at this point. Um, That's... That's a good call. He's got uh, the longe- He doesn't have the longevity those other guys had, but I feel like Urban is as good as as any coach of all time, minus maybe Saban. Like if you're taking one game, I might I might honestly take Urban over Saban. Yeah. Um, number two, though, we're gonna disagree, and I think this stems from how we view the best coaches um, and what our criteria is. Because I think you and I have different criteria as to what makes a great just great head coach in college football right now um so what is your criteria my number one criteria is could this coach this is number one a lot of it there was a lot of stuff that i thought about when i was making this list but something i value more than anything else is do i believe this coach could win anywhere if i put them in bowling green would they go 11 and 0 if i put them at ohio state would they go 12 and 0 if i put them at Kansas State would they be able to go six and six most years and eight and four or a ten and two every now and then? Could they do it? Did it? Does it matter? <laughs> I hope they, they go are? six and six at Kansas State. That's not that bad of a job. Well, I mean, it used to be like Bill Snyder resurrected it. What I'm saying is like that kind sure. of thing where it's like they can go wherever. You're you're taking it Fair too enough. literal, Matt. I'm just saying. Fair enough. Could they bounce around? And I get like I take points off if you're just an elite recruiter at a market where it's just easy like you have the donors you have the support you have the in-state talent 
Um, it's not hard. Mark Rick made it seem a lot more difficult than it actually is to turn Georgia around. Like Georgia, like taking jabs. I, I I just think it's true. Like we just saw how easy it was for Kirby to flip the script. He's like, oh, just more money, done. Like we increased See, our budget. The thing done. is, Mark Rick doesn't get. I don't. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but Mark Rick doesn't get enough credit for what he actually did for Georgia. Like Georgia in the nineties. Like even after Herschel Walker, there were some good years after Herschel Walker, but like basically like from the from the late eighties and on, Georgia was like a eight and four, seven and five type team. Like yeah. they were they were mediocre, middle of the SEC like every year. Like maybe they had a, a couple ten win seasons here and there, but like Mark Richt, like he won Georgia's first SEC title in like twenty years, like. Mark Rick like doesn't get enough respect for what he actually did. Like, and he he's the reason that Georgia had national championship hopes. Like, he's the reason why like going ten and two and being finishing ranked twelfth or something wasn't good enough. Like, in the nineties that would have been good enough. But Rick elevated Georgia to such a level that it was reasonable for them to expect national championship contention every year. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, and let me be clear, I don't think Rick was a bad coach. I think Rick is a really good coach. I think he's solid. He was a really solid coach for a long time. He was close to getting to a national title at some point. And I think if that Alabama game goes differently, Georgia wins a national title that year. Like, I think they beat Notre Dame. Um, and we look at Mark Rick very differently, I think. At that yeah, point. I think that the entire perception of Mark Rick is just completely different. And yeah. I mean, also just the timing of everything, like, you look at every single SEC team in the at 2000s and that stretch that won a national title, other than I think Alabama in 2009, every single team lost one game. Mm-hmm. And it's like Rick's 2002 team, they went 13-1, and one, and you were just unfortunate that there was two undefeated teams ahead of you in the BCS, and you just didn't really get a shot at the national championship. Because you think about that 2002 SEC, uh, Georgia team, it's kind of like that 2006 Florida team. Like, yeah, they put them in the national championship, but no one really thought they were even close to Ohio State's level. Like... Ohio State was just dominating everybody. And then Florida basically shocked the world by just obliterating Ohio State. So it would have been nice to see what could have happened if that team could have gotten a shot at the national title. But, you know, Rick Rick had a long time there, and that was one of about two, three years that they, they truly – I would say in, in 15 years, Georgia truly competed for a national championship like three or four times under Rick. Yeah, and I think – um, his downfall was really that he didn't become the CEO that Mac Brown and Herm Edwards did, right? Like he didn't know how to do that. He made bad coordinator choices, which also was his undoing. The Brian Schottenheimer, like that. Yeah, it was like Bo after Bobo left because he'd been, he'd had his hands off the offense for so long. Mm-hmm. It it seemed like he he was disconnected at that point. It was just it was time for a change. Yeah. Um. Well, we've already gotten off on a Georgia tangent. <laughs> of uh, course, of here. course. But um. The reason I say all this is my number two is Brian Kelly. Um, I think Brian Kelly could win. I mean, he's won at Cincinnati. I think people are discounting Notre Dame now because you talk about programs that just, um, you look at Nebraska, you look at Miami, you look at Florida State. Um, When I think about teams um, in the, or I guess maybe not even like the better example is, the best example is probably like, Northwestern or Boston College or the school like Georgia Tech, the schools with really high academic requirements, the Cal's, um, how difficult it is Stanford to be perennially great with your recruiting uh, guidelines. Vanderbilt, like it's really hard 
to build a consistent winner in today's college football landscape with the recruiting battles that Notre Dame faces, the issues with their academic requirements that like it, it will always be difficult for Notre Dame to sustain this level of success. We saw Notre Dame really bad. The Winningham years, the Charlie Weiss years, like we've seen it go haywire. Um, the Lou Holtz years were a long time ago. Um, Brian Kelly has stabilized that program and they had one bad year with the four and eight blip, but like that guy getting in the playoff as many times as they already have, um, being as dominant as they've been under Brian Kelly. I just think we take it for granted that this is kind of insane that Brian Kelly is able to do this with Notre Dame in the modern college football landscape. I think this dude doing this year over year, even though he can't beat Bama and Clemson because most people can't beat Bama and Clemson. I think him building a top five program in the country at Notre Dame in Indiana, where he's pulling from recruiting wise is insane. And I think he deserves all the credit in the world. If I gave him the resources that Georgia has, like I I just, (laughs) he's at Notre Dame. What are you talking about resources? Who's got more resources than Notre Dame? That's not true. Like it's not nationally, but is there a brand that's like, it's not about stronger. Kids don't care about that. Nobody, there is no 16 year old in Georgia right now in Statesboro who gives a shit about Notre Dame. There's, there's parents there's like there's no. the tradition means something man like you go to you visit notre dame i feel like just the lore of just the tradition and everything like i just i don't i'm i have brian kelly at four don't get me wrong but i think brian kelly's a great coach i just i think you're giving him too much credit in terms of comparing it to like a stanford or northwestern or georgia tech or something like it is a good academic institution but like we know that like not every single player on all these teams has to be able to get into the university. Like they 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 find ways. Are to... you suggesting that it's even close to what Bama and Georgia? No, but do? I mean, there's all kinds of like minimal qualifiers and that kind of thing. Like not every single student at Georgia a player on the Georgia Tech football team is smart enough to go to Georgia Tech. You know what I mean? That's not saying that plenty of them aren't, but. This is, I mean, UGA is a great school. University of Florida is a great school. UNC Chapel Hill is a great school. You know, we all of these are like great academic institutions. So I, I don't, I don't know if I give him that much credit. Like I think you give him credit for like what Notre Dame had become. Like we had seen like one good year of Tyrone Willingham, right? One good year of Charlie Weiss in like a fifteen-year period. Like Notre Dame was essentially irrelevant, and Brian Kelly brought him back to just being a a consistent program like you said top five i don't know if they're top five program right now of the last decade who would you put they're, in front of them they're right i mean just i mean the current landscape i just i would say you know alabama clemson ohio state oklahoma and Notre georgia Dame. lsu like they're they're right around there okay but it's the black mark i think on brian kelly is just there's essentially been three big games, like huge national games of his entire tenure, and they've gotten smoked every time. They don't like, have the players. The, they should get smoked. They had the players to go undefeated of that Manti yeah, team against everyone except the all-time greats. Like getting smoked by Alabama and Clemson does not matter to me. Like that just means. I mean, you, but it's one thing if it happens every time you're on that stage. Like, well, I mean, if they one, play like, that game a hundred times, Notre Dame probably wins what eight. I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it's they played it once, and they, it was the game was over by the first quarter against Al, in the national That's championship. That's not Notre Dame's fault. 
It didn't have to be there. Brian Kelly's made that point. He's like, what are we supposed to do? We win every game we're supposed to, and then we lose to the best of the best. Like, what are we supposed to do? I, I mean, can't get Alabama players. I can't like, do it. Kirby Notre Smart Dame hasn't, can never get those players. Alabama. Say what? Alabama. I mean, Notre Dame can never get those players. Notre Dame will never have the recruiting pipeline to match up with Clemson and Alabama over a two-game stretch. There is Dude, no I think path. you're underestimating how much talent Notre Dame really gets. Like, they, they pull from everywhere in the country. Like, they don't need like they don't have to recruit Indiana. Like they they probably don't recruit Indiana. I mean they do. Like they they Michigan just don't they recruit well. They recruit a lot of the central parts, but yeah, I'm I'm sure. But they they just they're a national program, and and they're and Brian Kelly's one of the better coaches in college football, like one of the best coaches in college football. But I rank him a, a, behind a couple more guys, just because I mean for one on my list I have Dabo Swinney number two. He's yeah. the only other coach in college football that has two national titles. Like you just you kind of have to put him up there, especially when I there's didn't. So he's not number two for me. One. No, that's what I'm saying. He's number two for me. Yeah. So make but the case I because Brian I go Kelly back just... and forth on this. Dabo, I think, is the most difficult person to place because he is an energizer. He's not an X and O's guy. He is an all-time great recruiter. Very annoying personality. Just all-time bad quote guy. Um, <laughs> I feel like that wasn't until like last year, like two years ago. He was so likable until like the last couple of years. I, I can't. I, I'm just going to go ahead and full disclosure. Not a dad book guy. Um, <laughs> I just... I don't know, man. Like, he deserves a lot of credit for turning around Clemson. Like, that dude, no one thought this was going to go this well. Um, Like, when they just promoted him, we're all like, what are they doing? Like, Clemson's in bad shape. And then he just... He he deserves credit for, like, how he hires. Like, him retaining Brent Venables and Tony Elliott for as long as he has is just amazing. (laughs) That kind of retention. Yeah, I mean, that just defies logic, really. Yeah. So, he deserves credit for all that because he's built a really good culture there. He gets five-star quarterback after five-star quarterback. Like, he is built just a behemoth. Um, but if you gave Brian Kelly, if you put him at Clemson, <laughs> I, I just, I don't know, man. I think in-game acumen, I think if I had to bet on Dabo succeeding at Wyoming or Brian Kelly succeeding at Wyoming, I'm taking Brian Kelly every time. See, that's I, I, that's what makes it a difficult conversation because I feel like that's not where he is. You know, like he built Clemson, and, and I don't even know if Dabo has to be at Clemson. It's not like Clemson was a powerhouse when he took over. They were a solid, you know, consistently top twenty-five team. Mm-hmm. But the what he's actually done with Clemson, like why, like how is what Brian Kelly has done in anywhere close to what Dabo Swinney has done? Like he actually took a program that's never been a national powerhouse and turned him into a powerhouse and. They don't. They don't recruit like Clemson and Ohio or like uh, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. Like they sign. They seem to sign smaller classes, like eighteen to nineteen players, and get like they obviously get plenty of five stars among those. But they're consistently like the sixth, seventh, eighth ranked team in the country when it comes in. Um, and when it comes to recruiting. Like I don't know why they have the players to get it done, but Notre Dame doesn't have the players to get it done. Like I don't. I don't know the difference. I feel like. If, if there's any difference, it's like that's that's it in Dabo's evaluation of talent. Like, and that all goes into what he is as a head coach. Like, he's just p- to be able to get Deshaun Watson and then follow it up. I mean, I don't know if he's the one who recruited Taj Boyd, but I, I think he might have. Um, and then just to get Deshaun Watson and follow it up with Trevor Lawrence and following up with DJ Uyungalele, like, it's just. 
I don't know how you can put anyone ahead of Dabo Swinney other than Saban. Like he's he's just he's done it. Like what is it, six straight uh, mm-hmm. playoff appearances? Like and he's actually beaten Bama a couple times, which basically no one other than Gus Malzahn has done. Like, and I guess you freeze. You got to respect that. Number three on my list. We disagree a lot here too. Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell, I just feel like this was a reach, man. I have Matt Campbell at eight. So Matt Campbell is in position to put Ohio State in the college football playoff this year. Iowa State? Yep. They are they are the favorite in the Big Twelve right now. Co favorites with They're, Oklahoma. Brace Hall's back. They return, the I think, every starter on defense. Um Brock Purdy's back. Brees Hall, like I said, is back. Um I don't think we realize how impossible it is to build Iowa State into a college football playoff serious contender. To be fair, he has not done that. No, it yet. is. Like this year. They like, are in I the mean, yeah, last year they win the Big 12 champ. Like even if they win the Big 12 championship, they're not in the playoff last year. So it's hard to say he's till this day like he still hasn't they haven't competed for a for a college football playoff. Like I I respect what he's done at Iowa State. Like that's why I have him at 8. But like a couple eight and five seasons, like last year was the year they go nine and three. Like, can I just tell I, you some cyclones history? It, can I give you some cyclones history, Matt Green? Give it to me. And I'm not just going to talk about Seneca Wallace with the all-time run against Texas Tech. I was about to say you better put some respect on Seneca Wallace's name. So before Matt Campbell got there, Iowa State had gone to twelve bowl games in twelve decades, zero conference championships. Since 1912. It's not great. This job sucked. Iowa State sucks. This job sucks. They are now a co-favorite to win the Big 12 with Oklahoma, who is a playoff machine. They are on par with Like, What does that mean, co-favorite? Like, when when they have the Big 12 media days, like... There's no chance they come out as the the preseason prediction. To win the I think you're going to be surprised, and I think they will. Everyone is going to pick Oklahoma. How they're going to be like preseason, like, top They've three. beaten Oklahoma. They play Oklahoma really well. They Matt do. Matt already beaten them. Everyone, I feel like the Big 12 is just rigged. It's like, the, the years that teams beat Oklahoma, it's like, oh, your prize? It's playing Oklahoma again <laughs> in the Big 12 championship. And then no one beats them a second time. It's just, I don't know. I just, I can't take anyone seriously coming out of the Big 12 other than Oklahoma. Like, I respect the job Matt Campbell has done, but I feel like three, ah, that's that's high. I think it's almost impossible to win like Matt Campbell's won at Iowa State. I just, this dude, when he gives to Ohio State after Ryan Day takes an NFL job, he is... Is that is that the plan? Yeah, I think that's he's waiting for the right one. Like that's why mm-hmm. he hasn't made a jump yet. Like that he's got he's got to be waiting for the right one for sure. And Ohio State's the right one. Like that's the best job in America. Ohio State. Like the big. Why team. would Ryan uh, Ryan Day's not going anywhere anytime soon? Uh, no, we'll see, we'll see. Um, I don't feel like NFL players would respect Ryan Day. Yeah, it's just something about his face. They just, <laughs> <laughs> his eyebrows. He always looks angry. You're number three. My number three is Kirby Smart. Not on my list. How can you not have Kirby Smart on your list? I feel like that's just straight up disrespectful. He's a great recruiter. 
not a good in-game tactician. We know that. Like we know well, that. Kirby what is Smart that? Is- See, I feel like everyone has this offensive bias. Like that's what it is. We feel like offensive coaches are superior coaches. Like half the teams in the country score a shit ton of points. You know what I mean? But we just have this perception that, oh, the elite offensive, it was a quarterback guru, offensive guru. We just, like, love these terms. It's well, yeah, like, like LSU doesn't win like a title 10... if Joe Brady doesn't come in. Like, yeah, if you don't have a top three offense, like, you're not winning anything. Mac Jones and what Steve Sarkeesian did for Saban, um, just it won him a national title this year. Like, without Sark. But it's also not offense. that difficult to have a good offense. Like. <laughs> Well, there's like half the country has a good offense. Like every team, I wouldn't say half the country. That's teams playing in the MAC and the Conference USA. Like all these teams score points. There's like ten teams nationally that play elite defense. Like if that, that seems generous. It it seems like that's way more difficult to be elite at is defense. And Kirby Smart's got Georgia an elite defense every single year. And just the offensive narrative is is totally overblown for by Kirby. It's like 2017 and 2018, Georgia had an excellent offense. They took a step back these last two years, but like we all saw how different it was when you had a competent quarterback under center in 2020. Like the offense was completely different. But Georgia, in the previous like seven years before Kirby took over, they finished unranked four times, two top 10 finishes in seven years. Kirby Smart's been there five years and he's got four straight top seven finishes. Like, including almost winning a national championship. Like if you're going to like compare Brian Kelly and, and Ryan day and Kirby, it's like, I mean, who's come the closest to winning a national championship. Like Brian Kelly is the only other guy. I feel like you can really compare to Kirby smart in terms of like that level below Dabo and Nick Saban, because they actually both took a program like with prestige and like took it to the next level. Like I would say Notre Dame was a bigger rebuild than Georgia was but I feel like people have like revisionist history on like what Georgia was under Mark Richt as if they were like oh they were getting top five recruiting classes every year like Mark Richt may have signed one top five recruiting class in the entire tenure he was there like to just consistently get top two and three recruiting classes is I mean that's that's elite that's that's a huge part of what your job is as a head coach and this idea that a guy who's won as much as Kirby Smart is, like, not a good in-game coach, it's just strange to me. Like, if you go back to that Tua team, like, Georgia was, like, last in the SEC in sacks that year. And Alabama comes in, like, a two-touchdown favorite in the SEC championship. And Georgia dialed up some defensive, like, pressures and everything we hadn't seen the entire year and just completely rattled Tua, like, just dom- like, honestly exposed to it. Like he, they straight shut him down and to the point that too much, just like Georgia, they shut him down too much that Jalen Hurts comes in and and wins the game for him. So I feel like Kirby, it's weird, like the, the, the microscope that Kirby Smart is diagnosed, like, oh, he's got to figure out the quarterback position to, com- to be considered an elite head coach, but we're just going to ignore the fact that like Lincoln Riley is not, has, has Heisman winners, Heisman candidates, and he's, and he can't get out of the first round of the playoff. He, he, the the defense is awful every time he's there, or every year he's been there. And but we we somehow just focus on Kirby Smart and criticize him for one position not being elite. And it's just it's it's interesting to me, especially when you look at last year. Like you look at some of the the film with Stetson Bennett. Like there's people running wide open. Like I I, I wholeheartedly believe like like this this notion that Kirby Smart oh if he can get out of the way and let the offense 
well, offensive coordinator do his job, he'll be okay. Like Kirby wants to score points. Like I think George is going to be just fine. And I think he's, he's not necessarily given credit for like how elite of a program he has built in such a short time. Okay. But you have to tell me how he's not even in the top 10. I think he's still a TBD. I want to see a title. Um, I think all the guys I have on my list, um, harder jobs, harder situations, um, or they've shown it longer. And if they are an easy situation, like a Saban or, um, a Dabo or even a Jimbo before, um, I just, I value like top 10 coaches of like Kirby, I don't think would thrive at South Carolina. Like, I think if he had taken the South Carolina job, I think we look at him like we look at Will Muschamp. I don't think we look oh, at Kirby the same. That's disrespectful, dude. I just don't think so. Well, this uh, what is up with people's like obsession with Kirby being like Will Muschamp 2.0? Like I don't know it's how many Will times Muschamp I've 2.0. seen. I don't know um, how many times it's I've not, seen like, rival fan You don't get coaching that. points for being like increase our recruiting budget by five million. Like that's not that a lot of it is just it's almost impossible not to be. 10 and 2, 11 and 1 in today's college football landscape with the kind of recruiting that Georgia does. They just got another five star today. What was that the kid name from uh, uh, yeah. Landing? Malachi Starks yeah, from Jefferson. Like, he's just, <laughs> it's impossible. Doesn't matter. Um, but that's, is that not a huge part of like who you are as a head coach is recruiting I mean, elite a, talent? When you're at the recruit, when you're at the places like Georgia, yes. Um, but, but George has never recruited like this, like well, ever. Have, for see, Kirby. But that's what I'm saying. That was like bringing back to the Mark Rick stuff is like they were a sleeping giant that Mark Rick just never tapped into. And he should have is what I'm saying. Kirby tapped into the obvious thing, which was there's so much talent in the state of Georgia. There's no reason for Georgia not to be a perennial national title contender. There's, just, I mean, that's true. But George has been doing a lot of recruiting nationally as well. Like, yeah, it's, but it's I mean, not bread and butter is still the state of Georgia. Today. Locking down Georgia was huge for them. That's true. I um I'm 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 eager to see the rest of your list to see how many more coaches uh are you have better than Kirby Smart. Well, to be fair, and I hope people don't think it's a Kirby bias, Ryan Day is also not on my list. He is also a TBD. Not long enough, easy to win. Urban left him the best situation in college football. Um, I'm just it's a TBD right now. Yeah, I was disappointed that Ryan Day was wasn't on your list. I was ready to argue about that. See, I figured <laughs> I like, you were. I, I, I want you to know it's not a Kirby thing. I'm not an it's not an anti-Georgia thing. It's just those two I think are in the perfect situations and they've proven nothing to this point. Well, da- see, I can't I can't I don't think you can even compare Ryan Day and Kirby Smart situation they They're the exact into. same. They're at an Georgia- unreal level. They're young smart no, but I'm saying the, the programs they took over like Urban Meyer I mean the last what four years he was there they finished top five like yeah if you look at the last like decade Ohio State has finished top 10 like eight of the last 10 years or so like they finished they're just one of the elite programs in the country and he he, he took over for a great coach that retired I feel like he's in the same situation as Lincoln Riley like they took over for all-time great coaches that retired like Kirby actually took over for a coach who had plateaued and they fired and he had to rebuild the program. Like people have this idea that Georgia was already number like top 10 every year. And that's just not true at rebuilding all. Rebuilding like, Georgia was not hard. You're making it seem like it was pulling teeth and that rebuilding Georgia was like rebuilding Boston college. 
But I'm saying Georgia finished unranked like three, like three or four times in in Rick's final six, seven years. Like I mean, that's an it was not on just Rick. it wasn't as just ready made as Oklahoma and Ohio State were. Like it wasn't even close to the the programs those guys took over. Well, it wasn't. That's why he went like what six and six his first year. I think it was eight and five. Did he go eight and five? I thought it was seven and five. Maybe it was yeah, seven eight, and five, yeah. I think eight and five at the bowl game. Yeah. They beat uh, I think TCU that year. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll keep it going. We'll keep it going. Go to number four. Um, number four on my list is Dabo. We've talked about Dabo at length. Brian okay. Kelly Num- is your number, number four. four. Yeah, Brian Kelly. Um, number five. We, like we said, we did not do this together without us, with both of us knowing. Um, this is where we are really close. We're great minds think alike, Matt. We both have Jimbo Fisher at number five. Without a doubt, I think he's. There's no way he's not a top five guy. Like that was something. Yeah, I, I think he about. solidified like, himself this past year. Like yes. if they had another underwhelming year, he could have fallen a little bit. But I think it's showing he's making legitimate progress at at Texas A&M. And well, he's he just one of the few coaches title. that has a national championship. Like you got a, and it's not a fluky one like Ed Ordron, who is not in my top ten. No, um, yeah, Jimbo, what he's done at Texas A&M, um, that dude, he's won. He's building like he's. He's matching the recruiting stuff with the winning, um, and he's got a national title. I just don't think there's any way you can't put Jimbo in anyone's top five. Um, number six on your list, is... and I think people kind of forget like how, what the state of Florida State's program was. Like the last four or five years, Bobby Bowden was taken over. Like, yeah, they didn't finish in the top twenty in the last five years of Bobby Bowden's tenure. So he kind of him taking over Bowden kind of reminds me of Smart for Rick. He kind of got burnt out that way, but but yeah, you couldn't, you can't really put Mark Rick anywhere close to to Bowden's level, of course. But but yeah, that's kind of the same vibe. Um, let's combine our six and seven because we haven't flipped. I have Lincoln Riley six. You have Dan Mullen sixth. Um, I have Dan Mullen seventh. You have Lincoln Riley seventh. Uh, why did you put Mullen ahead of Riley? I think Dan Mullen is just proven is more proven. Like he's. He's got he, the fact that he's won at two different jobs, like at Mississippi State. Like you can compare that to Iowa State. Like it's honestly more difficult based on like all the teams that are on your schedule. Like you know, you just you have that certain cachet just from being in the SEC, but it's way harder to win when you're not at one of those legit SEC programs. And then what he's come in and done at Florida, just you know, just immediately turning them and in, back into a contender, and that's that's huge. Uh, in just terms of just evaluating, I think that's the easiest way to evaluate a coach. Like when they've been at multiple stops and won at multiple stops, like unfortunately you don't have that sample size of Lincoln Riley, but I, I kind of touched on it in general, like just, just the, the program that Lincoln Riley inherited, like the media's obsession with Lincoln Riley. And in, in my opinion is just kind of strange. Like I think Stuart Mandel, I'm not sure Bruce Feldman had him. They both had him like four or five, like, like just this offensive wizard, like he's just some genius and everything. And it's like, he gets credit for having like two straight Heisman winners and and then a runner up, but he gets absolutely no blame for having essentially three straight Heisman caliber quarterbacks and winning nothing substantial, you know, like they got to the first round of the playoff. Like, yeah, that's great. But I mean, they got to the playoff a couple years ago for beating Baylor like twice. Like that's the only good team they beat the entire year was Baylor and they beat them twice like the Big 12 has just been so up and down some years. Like I don't even know how good Oklahoma is some years because they they get on this national stage and you know, 
Oklahoma and, and Alabama were, were blowing everybody out. Like, it's not like it, a criticism, you know, just – or, I mean, Clemson and Alabama, you know, they blow out a lot of teams. LSU, I'm sorry, was the team I was meaning to say. That LSU team just obliterated them. And that's not just to say you suck because you lost that LSU team, but just every time they get to the playoffs, other than the game against Georgia, they just get smoked. And I'm not sure why Lincoln Riley gets gets held up in this this stature. Like he didn't just get get handed the keys to a Lamborghini. Like Oklahoma well, has been. Well, hold on. Bob Stoops was falling apart. Like he took over for a struggling program. Like Bob Stoops. They, they was finished quietly... number five. They finished number five each of his last two years. It was cracking. Showing th- well, no. What I'm saying is, like he came in before that because Lincoln Riley was the difference in them finishing top five because that offense was kind of going the wrong way. Like they were really, but they pulled Lincoln from ECU because they needed to modernize their team and they needed to change things up. Lincoln Riley literally revitalized Oklahoma. I mean, that's fair. Like he definitely had an impact, but like the, the gap or like the, I don't know, the Valley that Oklahoma went down, like lasted about two years. Like, it's not like Oklahoma was just some program that, you know, fell on hard times. Like no, but they I'm were saying he's like, still he also younger. Like offense. what? He came in and was good right away. Early thirties. He's what thirty seven now, forty five and eight. Um, I the thing about Lincoln is he's kind of like Matt Campbell for me, where I think he would actually just win anywhere. His offense is just too good. I think he could win with any kind of quarterback. Um. I think he's just that brilliant offensively, and that's and I think Dan Mullen's the same way. Where Dan Mullen, he can win at Mississippi State, he can win at Florida, he can win anywhere. Um, they're really close, and I go back and forth on it. You could sell me on either. I'm not married to having Lincoln in front of Dan, but I do just think there is something to be said about how many times he's already gotten the playoff, and like you said, the problem is the defense, but how he addresses it with Grinch, I think makes a lot of sense where, so when you're that good offensively, there comes a price. I mean, LSU saw it when they brought in Joe Brady, they scored a shit ton of points. What comes with that is Dave Aranda is like, Oh, our defense is on the field a bunch. And the way you evolve now, it's not about how many points you give up. It's not about how many yards you give up. It's how many stops you get, how many turnovers you force, um, how many yards are you allowing per play? What are you doing in the red zone? Um, that's what matters and Lincoln is betting on uh winning the turnover margin so when you get blown out by LSU everyone's going to get blown out of LSU that year but his whole thing is like like when we get faced with the Clemsons the Georgias um and they should have beat Georgia like let's not forget they should have beaten that Georgia team um, I mean, they should have beat um they played a great two quarters I mean, there's nothing fluky that happened in that game. It was fluky. The second half was pretty fluky. Well, it was fluky. Uh, Just giving up 50 yard runs. Because if that, remember, hold on. None of that happens if the end of the first half does not go the way it does. Like the end of the first half was just really dumb. And they lost all their momentum at the end of that. Like, I don't know what that, like, we don't have to revisit it. That was, yeah, they stole a field goal right there. Yeah, that, that was just, I, that is when I knew, oh, this is going to be bad. Um, I put some respect on, uh, on the dogs. I won't. So I, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I just think he is, he's so good at offense and just putting together these immaculate offenses that like, it's just always going to be difficult because they're going to score so much and there's always going to be a lot of stress. They're always going to give up a lot of points that like, they just need some luck in these playoff games. I think they just need some, 
turnover luck. They need Some to recruit luck. better on defense. What would what would we, we be saying if Kirby Smart were just like, oh, he just needs some luck? You would be you'd be shitting on him so hard. Oh, Jordan fans, cry babies. Like, well, get no, out Jordan of here. needed it's, some luck too. Of course, everyone needs some luck. But, but that's what I'm saying is I think he's in that conversation. I think Oklahoma when people shit on Oklahoma in these games. I'm like, well, I mean, Oklahoma's still a great, great program, and um, I think what they're playing at is just. We got to win the turnover margin. Like, that's it. Like, we got to for Like, when they're carving us up, when Clemson's carving us up, when Bama's carving us up, we have to hope that we're going to get a tip deflection pick and get another touchdown. Like, we're betting on the little things just falling our way. Like, that is what they're doing. Yeah, I just... It's, I don't hate it's, it. It's just interesting to me how, like, a, a coach whose one side of the ball is just bad like other this this past year he's been there four years this is the first year their defense wasn't terrible do you know why and, though have you seen what yeah, they've well, recruited he in made the last the four de- years he made the defensive coordinator higher but it's like we're just giving this guy a pass because he's so good at offense that it's just, we don't care that the defensive ball, right? side of the ball he's a head coach of the team we don't care the defensive side of the ball has just been trash for three years i mean he he's also the best offensive mind in college football like he just is but think about it. Man. Like, look who they've played. Look who they've played in the Big 12 championship, like, three years in a row. Who they've, they've played, like, a number 10, number 12 Texas team, like, a number 10 Baylor team, like, a number 7 Iowa State team. Like, if Georgia is playing the number 10, number 7, and number 12 in the in the cha- conference championship, then they go to three straight college football playoffs. Like, this this idea of like a playoff appearance is like an accomplishment for Oklahoma. It's like it's honestly not. Like the the accomplishment is the bias that just kind of fault that goes with the name Oklahoma, the brand Oklahoma. We just have an idea of how good they are. Like if Iowa State was a one loss team, they just don't get nearly the benefit of the doubt that someone like Oklahoma gets. And that's why just the, the the playoff has to be expanded because it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, oh, look, Oklahoma's a contender. They're in the playoff every year. Well, they get blasted by like 30 points like or like 50 points or whatever the hell the score was against LSU, and it just it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, they're a playoff team. It's like, no, they're only a playoff team because they play in one of the most inconsistent conferences. Like if they're if they're actually playing top three teams like like Georgia th- those three years in a row played number two Auburn number one Alabama and number one LSU in the SEC championship like it's a completely different scenario and Oklahoma just gets rewarded for playing in a weaker conference and then like the perception of Oklahoma is greater because they're playing in that college fo- football playoff game even though I'm honestly not convinced that any of the last three years well obviously they didn't make it last year but the previous two years I don't know that they were even close to being a top four team because they didn't they didn't look like it when they played in the playoff like they they were nowhere they didn't even come close to competing hmm. um number eight on my list I cannot believe you don't have James Franklin in your top 10 but um James Franklin is my number eight. Your number eight is Matt Campbell. We talked about Matt Campbell. Um, like why is James Franklin the guy who literally got Vanderbilt into the top 25 and then revitalized a Penn State program that was really just coming off some really shaky years with Bill O'Brien and everything before that? Um, now is Bill a O'Brien serious... got him back on track. Don't, yeah, don't hate on Bill O'Brien. They he, went, he what, like, truly inherited the dumpster fire. 
eight and four Christian Hackenberg. Like they weren't great. They're going like six and six, seven and five, eight and four. And now they're a national title contender every year. Like this. Are they a national title contender? Let's not just throw around. I shouldn't say national title playoff contender. They are. They were were a playoff contender one year in his what now seven years at Penn State. They were like he's got to be respectable. They I think he won at Vanderbilt. No, that's impressive. Back to back nine win seasons at Vanderbilt. Like, I don't think we understand. Like you're automatically in my top ten. Not back to back nine win seasons at Vanderbilt. Like he's a top ten coach. There's no way around it. I mean that's big time. But now he's been at Penn State. Like we've been able to evaluate him at a program that is good enough to recruit elite talent and is good enough to compete. You know, year in year out. And he's won a he's won a Big Ten championship. But it's like uh, yeah, it's, it's good. And in 2015, 2016, you know, he, he might be flirting. You know, he's definitely in the top 10, you know, three or four years ago for me. But um, it seems like Penn State's kind of plateaued a little bit. And they won 11 games almost three of the last five years. They almost won 10 plus in four of the last five. I mean, what was the year? 2017 was the year that they almost got in the playoff, right? And yeah. They went 24 and 15 at Vanderbilt. Unranked. Like they went 4 and 5 last year. He went 24 and 15 at Vanderbilt, Matt. No, that's impressive. And I feel like James Franklin would be an honorable mention for top 10. He's definitely top 15, maybe even like 11 or 12. He's uh, he's close. But um, like I don't think I've, I don't think I, uh, I don't have a couple of these guys you have on your list. So. Number nine. What makes James Franklin number eight? Just just the Vandy thing. That's all. That's all it is for you. Yeah, he won at Penn State. Like, he wins 11 games, Penn State. It's really great. And he won at Vanderbilt. Like, you winning at Vanderbilt, guess what? You're automatically in. Um, Fair enough. Literally, no one else has. No one. No one. Um, That is, he just, he deserves an unreal amount of credit for that. Um, Speaking of programs that they just don't win, Matt, ever. And we've seen how bad it is when they're not there. Greg Schiano is a top 10 coach. Like, that dude comes back, immediately, like, beats Michigan State, immediately turns the dumpster fire that Rutgers had turned into since he's been gone. Like, just remember when they lost to Michigan, like, 77 to nothing a couple <laughs> years ago? Like, those are gone immediately. They're competitive immediately. Greg Schiano. It, it's hilarious how yeah. low the bar was, though, because I honestly, I would have told you, like, yeah, Rutgers had a solid year last year. Like, they went three and six. But it was an insane three and six because Rutgers was that bad the year ago. Like, they were atrocious. The Chris Ash team was so bad. Like, do you remember just how bad it had gotten at Rutgers before he came back? This was an yeah, awful job. Yeah, I mean, they lost, what, like, it was like 28 straight Big Ten games or yes. something like that? And he immediately, his first game back, he wins. No, I I'll, I definitely respect Greg Schiano. It's it's funny coming from a Tennessee fan. I'll, I'll admit, uh, showing love for Greg Schiano. But, um, he no, he was not on my list. But uh, how long until they got a statue for him at Rutgers? Like, lock this man down. Like, lifetime contract. Like, he he is Rutgers football. I agree. He dropped 27 on Ohio State. <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know. Like, that dude almost beat Michigan last year. They lost 48-42. Like, he almost he beat dropped Michigan. dropped 27. You're saying, like, he's a shooting guard. Hey, man. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Greg Schiano, top 10 coach in college football. Like, that dude. Hey, just impressive. Um, Your number nine, Luke Fickle. I flirted with putting him in. He's another TBD for me. 
Yeah, he, it, it gets tough when he gets to this point. But, um, yeah, I feel like with what Luke Fickle's done the last uh, three years at Cincinnati, like this guy, like you talk about Matt Campbell being the next Ohio State guy. I feel like this guy, he wants to be the next Ohio State coach. He's going to hang around at Cincinnati as long as he can. Like, I know Michigan has, like, talked about him. Like, Luke Fickle can't go to Michigan. Like, you just you can't do that. Like, but, um, yeah, just what, what he's turned that Cincinnati program into and – you know, everyone loves to show love to the offense, doesn't doesn't show love to the defensive guys. You got to respect the team, the teams that are actually playing some defense these days. Luke Fickle, put him in the top 10. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I um I think you're just giving him a lot of credit cuz he almost beat Georgia in the ball game. You're just like, "Ooh, he had a shaken." Quality uh, program that is, you know. Yeah. It's a great win. Um number 10 on my list kyle whittingham actually um i actually thought about putting him at 10 kyle whittingham turning utah like moving from the mountain west to the pac-12 he won the pac-12 he's won in the mountain west like the fact that utah was in the playoff conversation what was that two years ago now you utah yeah they uh they lost to oregon or something late in the year but yeah he's 134 and 66 at utah um utah's not an easy job it's not an easy place to recruit um he survives on the portal he's 11 and 3 in bowl games love that um that dude has no business turning what uh utah is um especially going from the mountain west to what they are they had a 13 and 0 season at one point like going 13 and 0 they went 8 and 1 the pac 12 the last full season um 11 and three that year they were they were just great like he, he just um, coasting on that program that urban meyer built man that's all it is yeah no he just I, carried uh, him 17 years that's and anyone can do that dude he, <laughs> okay so from 2014 to now he went nine and four ten and three nine and four one blip seven and six nine and five eleven and three that dude and that included yeah, we, don't really count, we don't even count the 2020 pac 12 season it honestly should it no. might as well have not even happened um i agree i just that dude he's a top 10 coach like i kyle whittingham is just uh he is mr consistency i put him right behind uh your boy pat fitzgerald i think okay <laughs> now you're just hurting me i would say like whittingham james franklin pat fitzgerald that's probably my my just missed the top 10 okay but uh at number 10, I got Ryan Day. Like, I wasn't really sure. I honestly thought, I thought you would have him higher. So I thought 10 was kind of like... No, if I'm not going to include Kirby, I can't include Ryan Day. That, that's fair. But uh, yeah, I just feel like Ryan Day, you, you got to give him credit for, you know, what they have done. Like, I mean, he's lost, what, three, two games in, in, in two years. So two and two and some change with that, that 2018 season. But uh you know, you got to give him respect for what he what he did, but I'm the jury's still out to know exactly how good of a coach he is. Just because Urban Meyer is one of the all time great coaches, he he built Ohio State into what they are currently. Not like he built the program at Ohio State, but so we'll see a couple years. Ryan Day, let, let him get his recruiting classes and 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 see. I mean, he could be even higher here in a couple years. Hmm. All right. Well, that's. That's the list. We did it. I feel like it's just disrespectful, man. Not have Kirby top ten. Okay, list. you got to move on. This is this is disrespectful. I can't I can't get past it. It feels like an axe to grind. 
It's nothing personal, Matt. Josh Heupel didn't make my list. <laughs> As well, he shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, maybe soon. Someday. We'll see. I can dream, right? They maybe. They practice back today. We'll see. I'm practice putting, guess, one was I'm the putting guess a lot higher on that list than, uh, than Josh Heupel. Okay. Well, for that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, for myself up here in Knoxville, Tennessee, that is all we've got. Um, more parts to this episode to follow but thank you as always matt i greatly appreciate it no doubt man yo are we doing the uh the throwback the throwback game next week we uh, yes. are we gonna see what happens no we're doing it next week for sure i've added it to the calendar i've got it in there we got uh we got the throwback coming texas a&m <laughs> versus alabama 2012 for people who want to follow along and be prepared for us to talk about it no doubt i'm i'm uh, i'm amped All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, and I am now joined by old friend of RBR Wrestling, Maxwell Bombach. Maxwell, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back, and I'm uh, glad to make my uh, Blue Wire Air debut. I, hey, man, you will be the last episode before I get the new cover art unveiled tomorrow with the Blue Wire nice. logo splashed on it, um, some colors I'm adding to it. I'm, uh, I, I, I've been wanting to add a little bit, but... Paul, I know you're going to be listening. Do not fret. Paul being the one who designed my current podcast cover. I don't know if you knew oh, that or not, Maxwell. But uh, I did not know that. Yeah. So, Paul, it's staying. Just adding some flair. And I didn't want to ask you again because I didn't want to do the Facebook Messenger back and forth of Paul getting all angsty and angry and just uh, the – just it, Paul, focus on uh, – Late show with Stephen Colbert. Don't worry about it. I I got it. it it's it's under control. And your your cover art will stay. Will stay. Um, but yeah, I, I don't even know where I was going with that. I just went off. Oh, the blue wire thing. There is a reason that was. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Um, no one ever asked about that. But yes, I forgot because it's been like four months now. Three months. Four. Mm-hmm. Almost four. It's still exciting. It's still exciting for me to, you know, be a part of a, a new chapter. Yeah, an ad-filled chapter. You might be mm-hmm. right after a Dunkin' Donuts spot. Um, are you a Dunkin' Donuts oh, guy, that's... Maxwell? I'm a big Dunkin' Donuts guy. Okay, I'm a big, I'm a big double chocolate guy, and I'm a big black, plain black coffee guy. Actually, but, same. Um, of of like any drive-through place that has coffee, Dunkin' is far and away the best, in my opinion. So you're a you're a black coffee guy. Do you do you drink coffee yes. every morning? I do. I that was like a a new habit that I picked up during the initial quarantine period. I thought you were a I was a big, guy because I remember you being I an was. energy drink guy. Uh, yeah, I and I still like once a week we'll get an energy drink. But um, when everything first hit, I was like, too, I didn't want to go to convenience stores anymore. And like I saw coffee was fine, but then I was like, all right, I'm at home. I'm making coffee. I'm drinking coffee, and then I became just a coffee guy interesting okay i'm proud of you maxwell you've you've evolved i'm too it's a i think it's a sign of growth and maturity yeah well i will say my uh, girlfriend sent me a meme the other day where it was just like the the different types of coffee where it was like black mm-hmm. on one side and then just like full sugar and cream on the other and different levels in between yes and was like yeah. the people who drink one think that they're <laughs> a next level maturity and have like their phd and yeah uh 
she was like that's you and i was like no no yes i'm in grad school <laughs> yes i drink black coffee but i don't drink black coffee because i think i'm better than everybody else i drink black coffee because i literally just like the taste of black coffee but it has to be really yeah. dark it has to be really bitter i just like it i like the flavor yeah i like it dark and bitter as well i, I don't know why if i if i'm drinking coffee i want something that tastes like coffee like at no point in my time as someone who drank coffee, did mm. I ever like coffee with cream and sugar in it? Yeah. Like, just give me all of the coffee flavor if I'm going to have something that tastes like coffee. She puts whipped cream on top of her coffee, and I'm just like, what? That's wild. <laughs> I kind of I, respect yeah. it in a way. Well, but... what does Christina do? Is she a coffee person? Uh, she is. She's like a, a, a fancy flavored creamer person See, so it's always like it's a maybe it's a girl thing where they're it's just they they love to spruce it up a little bit mm-hmm. women women do be using creamer they do they do um all right man well uh well before we get into some wrestling just because i feel like you do a wrestling podcast every week and you don't get to talk about the nba and i talk about the nba a lot yes. i write about the nba a lot I wanted to throw this at you. The trade deadline, your Chicago Bulls were a lot more active than my Atlanta Hawks, um, but we did reunite Magic City with old friend Lou Williams, which makes me happy. So excited to see how that relationship blossoms as they reconvene in my homeland of Atlanta. Um, Mm -hmm. Your team acquired Nikola Vucevic. You uh, (laughs) are doubling down on Zach Levine in this group. Um, Wendell Carter Obviously, going out the door. I like Lindell, Wendell Carter. Laurie Markkinen, who is rumored to be in trade rumors for weeks now. He stays. Um, yeah, that's you a with your, with your bulls. <laughs> um, so, at first, I was like, I, I don't like it. Initially, anytime I saw that we just the idea of trading future draft picks freaked me out. But I've come around to it. And and here's here's my logic. Um. I am not a Wendell Carter guy, and I always used to be a Wendell Carter guy. I was a huge fan of his coming out of the draft. I liked that he was a little Al Horfordy, was the big comparison everyone was making at the time. Uh, you know, guy who could operate out of the high post, facilitate a little bit. Maybe his jumper comes along. The jumper never came along. The facilitating didn't develop. He's hurt all the time. The predicament that we were in with Markkinen of like, oh, his contract's going to come up and we're going to have to decide if we want to pay him or not. Same thing is true for Wendell. I have no problem moving on from Wendell. Um, so I'm, I'm okay with that. Otto Porter, upcoming free agent, he's going to be out the door too. No problem parting with him. Um, the draft pick in the 2021 draft class that's top four protected, I'm a, I'm a big mock draft guy. Mm-hmm. I am not into this draft outside of the top five. I you were really just taking some some big swings after the top five in this draft. There's a lot of guys that have very low floors that really scare me. Don't so I say Keon Johnson or Jaden Springer. Oh, do you want to hear my popping height piping hot Tennessee guys take? Oh, sure. Ready for this. Mm -hmm. I'm. I am a uh, Jaden Springer should be ranked higher on boards than Keon Johnson guy. Oh, you're wrong. But uh, explain to me this. Uh, this uh, case. As someone who's I watched think... every game in both of their okay. Tennessee careers. I'm ready As for someone this. Someone who's, who's seen like five games <laughs> of them. Uh, I feel like Jaden's just a lot more under control, mm. um, especially offensively. I think that I, I really like his ability to read passing lanes. Like I, I think that there's a very good chance he becomes 
a real point guard um, or like a lead guard in some in some offenses. I think ideally he's a guy who's next to a big facilitator. Like, I mean, every player like ideally next to like a Luka Doncic or LeBron James. But I think in that kind of a role, he'd be great. Uh, Keon, I'm a little afraid of his lack of just tangible skills. Like, I feel like he should be a better defender than he is. I like where Jane's at defensively. I also like that Jaden's super young. Um, well, Keon's super young, but too. I know, but Keon, but Keon's shot scares me. I, I feel like he should rebound a little better than he does for a guy who's that athletic. Well, that's not really his fault this year. Like, Tennessee actually had a lot of great rebounders, and Folky and Ponzi and just the guys around him. Springer's actually a pretty good rebounding guard for his size. Viscovi is really good at rebounding. Like, this was actually, like, Tennessee had a lot of problems offensively, but rebounding was not not one of them he didn't really have a lot of opportunities okay i mean that makes you feel a little better about it i i I get the athleticism and the dynamism but there is i i just see a lot more readily available basketball skill in springer springer's like best case scenario is like i don't know malcolm brogdon like poor man's malcolm brogdon maybe yeah I don't like the the two foot jump thing with him that like he does not like to jump off of a single foot ever. Mm. Like he has to gather every time he goes up to do anything. Um, but with Keon, I think there's a real scenario where he either ends up on a team that's that's good mm-hmm. and he doesn't get enough kind of attention and development. And I also think there are scenarios where um, like the opposite happens happens and he's just on a bad team and there's not enough structure and nothing happens and i think he's I, I don't gonna know. be the best scared, like your old friend your wing right now out of florida state who kind of skyrocketed like i think keon's gonna have the same kind of thing yeah but or... pat williams made like 34 percent of his threes in college it was low volume but he hit him and was like an 81 percent free throw shooter. wait what is Keon this year hold on i gotta pull that up what is Keon? i, I think Keon was like sub 30 was he really i think he may have been i gotta see this well in his defense though in his defense um the Tennessee offense under Rick Barnes this year was uh, clogged. And yeah, well, like, yeah, like, an Eves Pons is not a shooter either. Like, it's... He was a shooter for, like, two weeks. He had uh, <laughs> he had a great game against Missouri where he had, like, five threes, and that was just bizarre. Yeah, he's uh, but... 70% free throw, and he is 27% from yeah. three. Yikes. Yeah. But he only was taking a little um, over one a game. That's the thing. I was like, I feel like he rarely shot threes. Um, yeah. I don't know. So, okay. So, yeah, long story short, I don't I'm not worried about giving up an asset in this draft. Um, And if it does go super high, it's top four protected. So that's okay. And then uh, the other thing is so we're basically just the only asset I care about is the 2023 first round pick. And if we can trade that for Vucevic and possibly build out of the middle, I am completely into that. That is something I am on board with because our other option, if we don't do this trade, is we're instead building from slightly a slightly worse position on the mediocrity treadmill that's fair that's like i i don't think that like when people are like oh like they gave up all this it's like not none of that stuff really matters like we were we weren't gonna be in a a truly better position either way if you were to say hey they should have blown it up and tanked that i would actually be more into but as someone who lives here people are really sick of not being competitive I I don't care if we do that kind of thing, but I'm a geek, and that's not how most people are. I think there's just like seven more moves for Arturis to make before I'm like really 
before I'm comfortable making any kind of assertions about where the Bulls are going, I feel like this is just step one of like revamping this roster and what he what he sees. I think he really wants to just be like, and I think part of the reason Billy Donovan left OKC was like, I'm done with the the long term rebuilding thing. Like I don't want to stick around for the 34 picks in seven years type thing. Like I don't <laughs> yeah. I don't want to do that. I didn't like I just I have no interest. I just want to coach a good NBA team, and I think that's part of what he signed up for here was like i want to coach a good team and like they had too many young guys and they weren't going to develop all of them and zach levine's just playing too well um Mm -hmm. for them to just develop all these different guys so i think i think this is just step one i think we're gonna see him make bigger moves for other veterans and try and figure out how they can be be good and be a top four or five seed in the east for a couple years and they're chicago then the number one uh, attendance team in basketball every year the fans will always yeah they you'll always be able to uh get butts and seats so i don't know i think uh this is this is smart and just them getting i think the nba is better when the bulls and the knicks are both playoff teams and competitive so this is good step in the right direction for sure i'm into it um which naturally brings us to keith lee being off WWE television yeah for the last uh last month um he tweeted on march 18th about not to worry and things like that and then we saw today from fightful our friends at Fightful, um, all t- kinds of great guys, Jeremy Lambert, Joe Holbert, Sean Rostap, uh, all those great guys, um, okay. doing some good reporting on this. Uh, what do you make of Keith Lee's absence? And are you starting to get m- the longer this goes, starting to get more and more concerned about his future? So I was so locked into trade Twitter today. Did they give a scoop as to like what the reason for this is yet? Or are we still medically just cleared? Kind of yeah. Not medically cleared. That's concerning. Um, I'm disappointed in it. I it just the whole main roster run was so unfortunate because they brought him up and it really seemed like they were going to do something with him. Mm-hmm. And they had him a great new theme song of Randy. Yeah. And oh, I was I was joking. Maxwell. Remember how mad people were online about wait, his new theme song? And he was like, don't worry. Don't worry. It's, but didn't it's he get fixed. a second new theme song? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Once it was fixed, yeah. it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's just a bummer because it seemed like there were new stuff with him and then they didn't do anything with him Mm. he just kept having like draws and no contests all the time and if he's not medically cleared it'll it will simultaneously be like a tragic like oh what could have been and still a missed opportunity Mm -hmm. like it'll be both of those things at the same time and that that sucks i'm concerned i I just the, the uncertainty here and the fact that it's dragging like I'm not comparing it to Jason Jordan because those don't happen very often. But do you remember the reporting on that where it's like he's still dealing with something? He's but he expects to get cleared. He tweets like I'm coming back and all like there. I'm not saying it's that exact thing, but there are little things Mm -hmm. that just remind me of it. And we just don't know. So it's just it just sucks because it the longer this goes, the more I'm like, "Mm, this is way worse than than we're expecting it to be. Um, What do you think? this company is doing with the hurt business because maxwell you and i we hate monday night raw like it's a terrible show it's, it's three a bad hours. show yeah. it's terrible i hate watching it every tuesday morning it's my least favorite part I, of the week i um, don't understand how like smackdown and nxt are produced by the same company that does <laughs> raw every week it just it ever like i get mad about the same thing every single week it's it's it, just such a meandering program i don't think there's no direction there's no real like they're just trying stuff out in different segments it's built for youtube it's built for just the seven minute spots and it uh it's not good 
It's a very bad show. But well, like also, the Hurt Business are like the good. prime example of that, though, because it's like they're awesome. And I think they were they were kind of just de facto baby faces because uh, the Miz stinks, and it's like, well, everyone knows that this is the best thing on the show, so they're kind of good guys now. And now they need them to be bad again. Well, and like they weren't all bad. It was basically like, or they weren't all good. It's basically just Lashley that was kind of working face. Well, they're sowing discontent, Miz. which is what I want to ask you. It's like Vince found out. Oh, people like the hurt business. They're good. What if we sowed discontent and broke them up? Like, that's the immediate reaction. Well, there was sort of always, like, a little bit of that dynamic with Shelton and Cedric, which yeah. I was never, like, I don't know. Like, that never really enhanced the act for me. Like that, to me, it's not, it was always something like, hey, at some point we should move on from this, and they just didn't. Um, but, yeah, it's it's strange. It's just good. Like, I enjoy the Hurt Business. So, like, I don't fast-forward those segments. I like the Hurt Business. No. I like all Them of this. and, yeah. like, Sheamus matches are, like, the two things where it's like, hey, this is going to be good. Oh, you're like, a Sheamus she- guy. I Well, now, I am now. He, he was inconsistent, I thought, earlier in uh, 2020. But mm-hmm. now he just has matches where they're guys being dudes matches where they just <laughs> hit each other really hard a lot. And it's awesome. <laughs> um i just i can't get over the look and the character look and um i don't know that's fair. and i yeah. hated the drew Seamus stuff i hated the i'm from this country and you're from this country and we're representing our countries and now we're angry and we like to go get pints um i, I just <laughs> i didn't like any of it um with fans back speaking of drew i want to ask you about this maxwell um fans back at wrestlemania 37 on the two different nights do you think based on Drew going over clean over Brock Lesnar last year, that Bobby Lashley, the comparisons have been there forever, that they are they put the title on Lashley so that Drew could go over because they weren't going to be able to get Lesnar back for this year because he doesn't want to come back until fans are fully back and all that kind of stuff. Do you think they put the title on Bobby just so Drew could go over somebody uh, like Lesnar or Jace at WrestleMania this year? <laughs> um- I hadn't considered the Lesnar Jason part of it. I did think that they were doing it so that Drew can win the title from someone at the big show mm-hmm. in front of people. Um, I did not put together the pieces of like the he's beating the MMA guy thing. Yeah. Uh, but that's what it feels like. And I'm a little concerned because I have been very low on Drew McIntyre during the COVID era, I think he's like been kind of boring and he is not like he is the next big thing. If there was ever like they, <laughs> what sucks about Drew McIntyre is he got the treatment that so many other guys who are so more ta- like supremely more talented than him never got the way he has been booked over the last year. I would have killed for so many different guys in this loaded roster to have been booked this way, but they did it with Drew and I'm like, this was the C plus player that you booked like an uh-huh. A plus superstar. And this he is, sucks. He is the worst guy to ever be in this role. Yes. I like agree. it's not even close. Um, and it sucks because he seems like an awesome dude uh, inside yeah, and outside and, like, the ring. Fine. But everyone I talk to, they're like, oh, I love Drew McIntyre. And he's a great story. And I'm like, it all sucks. I wish he was awesome. I wish he wasn't a C plus mm-hmm. guy, but he is. Yeah. Like there's nothing objectively terrible about him he's just not interesting he doesn't have it he has a kilt i don't know if you saw that or not 
Mm-hmm. He has a sword. I've I've noticed the kilt and I've noticed <laughs> the sword. What did what did you think at the uh, pay per view when he had the uh, the war paint on? Uh, he's a geek. That's fair. It just none of it works for me. None of it, and I I don't know, man. I it feels was... very like 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 a early two thousands indie promotion babyface. Mm. To be like, this is our, our good, clean-cut guy, and he's very big, and, and you think that maybe you will see him in WWE someday. Like, he feels like that rather than, like, an actual WWE star and champion. Do you think Shane McMahon knows he's really bad at promos and that he just plays this up at this point? Do you think he plays up the fact that he can't get through one promo without stumbling over himself? Uh, no, I think he thinks he's good. Okay. But also, this is another feud on Raw I have a problem with. Oh, because it's uh, awful? Well, no, because Shane is the heel, but everything he's saying is right. Like, Braun Strowman's <laughs> character is so stupid that when he's like, oh, you're you're dumb. It's like, yeah, like, this character is really dumb. I, I'm not mad at you for pointing this out. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so forced, and it's so silly. And it's like, yeah, big guy who uh, was feuding with Roman Reigns and has been treated as the top guy who never eats pinfalls over a five-year stretch is someone that, like, Vince clearly hates this person, the McMahon family, very anti-big guys, as we know, <laughs> yeah. pro wrestling. They don't like big guys. Um, do you like the move of Impact Wrestling going back to Thursdays, Maxwell? I do. Because Are you going to watch? If, uh, no, I will never <laughs> watch Impact. Uh, so long as like Sammy Callahan is a top guy there, I cannot bring myself. He's not to a top guy there. Eh, I feel like he's. I okay. Well, the last time I was watching, he was a top guy there, and then I said he's no more. He's with Trey right now. Um, it's okay. He's getting in Trey's head as like a guy who just doesn't have the crazy and factor to to become a top guy thing. It's it's okay. It's fine. Okay. Yeah, I I'll, I'll be more likely to watch it because I think with NXT moving to Tuesdays. There was zero chance I'd ever watch it. Where now it's like, oh, maybe I will, and and that's that's the benefit of being a promotion that's basically owned by the TV network that it's on is that you can just adjust on the fly and continue to put yourself in a better position. So, I knowing that they have that ability, yeah, this was one hundred percent the right choice to make. Yeah, it's uh, it's fine. Um, I don't want to hear David Finley do any more promos like him and Juice, uh, the tag team champions there now. Mm-hmm. They cut an all time bad promo against the Good Brothers a few weeks back. Um, I don't know if you saw this. I, I shot- didn't. It's I, I so bad because Juice is a promo guy. Is there is a wide range of outcomes every time that guy opens <laughs> his mouth because he he can deliver passion and fire really well sometimes, but he can also be very corny. What was so? What was the the main issue with this promo? Um, I don't have my notes from that week in front of me, but essentially, like the Good Brothers were talking about them fought, like them being young and carrying their bags for him, for them when they were back in New Japan, and they were like, "No, we're not young anymore. We're you, we're just as good as you are." And we're, and I was like, Aww. "What is happening?" Like, because the Good Brothers were just putting on a promo clinic. And just eviscerating these two, and then they came back with just the lamest, no charisma, just really awkward. High, it was just awful. Like I, they're not insult guys. No, and they tried to trade insult to them, and it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Um, how old do you think Rich Swan is? 
I think Rich Swan is a freaky young guy. Yes. I think he's one of those guys who like started wrestling when he was 15. Okay, yeah. He's I'm gonna 30. guess he's, I'm gonna guess he's oh man. I was gonna guess 32. Is that not insane? I just looked that up because I was looking at the impact roster and I was like, wait, there's no way. No way. Uh, yeah, because there's the weird thing of like I hate when wrestlers are younger than me because it makes me feel old. <laughs> yeah. But I also like weirdly feel old when it's like, oh, I've been watching Rich Rich Swan wrestle like, oh, I was like in college when he first broke out. And it's like, yeah, he was like 20 when that happened. That's crazy. Impact does some cool stuff, though. I will say, Maxwell, the coolest thing about Impact is they experiment. Like, I've had Dreamer they on. They I've had um, Ace Austin. I've had TJP. I've had all these guys. And I talk. They're they're very, like, they're very cool to talk to. And I like their different, um, uh, Chris Saban, all those guys. Like, I enjoy talking to all of them. Um, they do different stuff. Like, <laughs> the Chris Saban Bud Light spots with him and James Storm is actually great. And them going to, like... What is that dude's name? I don't even remember off the top of my head. Like it's something room. They're playing poker. It's so cheesy. They did a um like two or three months back, Maxwell, they did like this whole thing with AC Romero, Triple XL, and like what was it called? Funhouse? It was not it was something funhouse. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrestle like House? The, Wrestle the House. Yeah, Wrestle House. And they had this crazy match with the Deaners and Triple XL falling through elevators just all kinds of crazy stuff and i was like this is a great 15 minutes of my life because not everything needs to be ricochet versus will osprey like sometimes i just want to watch the dumbest thing on planet earth that doesn't make any logistical sense no this is for me and that is what impact filled for me was just like they just experiment they're like why not let's do 15 minutes um at wrestle house like just away let's do 10 minutes of rohit and uh James Storm getting in a bar fight with James Storm breaking a bottle over his head with just the most cliche, mm. not even cliche, just the, the cringiest, obviously fake staged, fake bar ever. And just being like, yeah, this is what we're doing. This is us. I love it. I love experimentation because not everything, like everything looks the same and everything's boring. I like when companies are just like, let's do something different. How's, uh, how, how's like the Joe, is Joe Doring still around? Uh, I think so. Yes. With, uh, okay. Eric Young. I- yeah, because I thought that was cool when Joe Doring came in. And I'm also a big, I don't know if he was wrestling as Jake Diener or if he was wrestling as Jake something or Cousin Jake when mm. he was there. That dude rocks and has been very good for a long time. Yeah, Jake something and is I, good. Yeah, I really hope that he gets like a big time opportunity to do stuff because he is a dude. I would agree. See, there you are. I've got you back in. Josh Alexander's fun. Um, oh, yeah, he's he's great. See? Here you go. You're going to be watching. They, You're all they have about talent. it. I think, I think the issue with them right now is just the environment. As soon as, as soon as they have fans back, I'll be checking them out. Okay. It's a show with the Motor City Machine Guns and Josh Alexander on it. Like, it, it can't be that bad. That's fair. That's fair. Um, this week on Dynamite, we got to talk about some good wrestling because Dynamite is the, the best professional wrestling show. Um, I enjoyed a lot. This week was kind of a snoozer. Would you agree? Oh, I liked it this week. I didn't say I don't like. I didn't like it. I just felt it was kind of a snoozer. I thought putting Darby and um, why would like on his name in the silver, silver, yeah, in the main event was a bold choice. They had a good match. It was fine, um, mm-hmm. but I thought that was kind of interesting. My biggest takeaway was the QT Cody stuff, which I did not expect to like as much as I did. I thought this went really well, and this is a feud that I can sink my teeth into. I think this is actually good. I think QT pulled it off really well. He's a good promo. Uh, 
I think he's a fine promo. This see, this is the one thing on the show I wasn't as into. Oh, interesting. I yeah, I just I have a hard time getting invested in a story where it's like, all right, especially with it's more so in AEW things. So in WWE, I'll I'll take what stories I can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but in AEW, you have this loaded roster full mm-hmm. of talented people. And it's like, all right, we're going to get a story with this guy who's older, isn't really going to be a breakout talent. And like this, this just isn't going anywhere. And I, there's so many other people I'd rather see being focused on or like being given an opportunity. Hmm. But see, like, um, I think so that's kind of my guys like that right now. I think there are a lot of guys getting opportunities. I think this is a really loaded young roster. I think a lot of dudes are getting that shot. I don't know. I just like the breaks. Maybe that's what it is. I just like, you know, QT and Cody. This is going to be some good. Like, I like Cody just um, having the little jibes where he's like, I'm not going to hit you. I'm, when I have the crossroads locked in, I'm not going to hit it. I don't know. I think this could actually yeah, be no, a fun match. No, I like match. that. I like smug Cody. Yes. And I think this is going to be a fun match because I think he's, I don't know. I think this will be this will be interesting. I think this is a different thing. And I think Arn being involved is good. Um, what did you make of Kenny? Cause Kenny was all over this show and mm-hmm. Kenny, I go back and forth on this character. I go back and forth. I do too. And I'm not sure if I like it. That's something I've thought about a lot is like, I'm not sure if this is good. Where are you at with this? I am. I'm the same way. I am week to week, segment to segment with this character because there's times where it's just so unserious that it feels like a detriment to everybody on the show and i i know that a lot of people anytime aw does anything sort of comedy like this is supposed to be a serious sports-based <laughs> wrestling show and whatever and it's like i i know but like you do still need some levity but i don't need it coming from the world champion i just i don't and there's a way for main eventers to do comedy i mean look at the rock uh, is a, a pretty good example of that. I, would I mean, Moxley say. was doing it really well with MJF when they were feuding. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I just I don't think it needs to be so hammy, over the top, and silly. Mm-hmm. It's when it adventures into silly territory that it feels. Dean Ambrose with the cowboy hat. Yes. Yeah, I um, I don't know because I like Don Callis a lot, and I think that's like I one do of the. Too. I think that's one of the better parts that saves this for me is that Kenny has Don Callis um, to make this more enjoyable. But he looked like a geek this week when he got attacked by Pentagon and everything to close and not seeing that coming. And the Good Brothers coming back later. Like, I don't know if I can sink my teeth into the Young Buck stuff. I'm kind of burnt out on the Elite stuff and the descent between the Elite. Um, I am too, especially because like it kind of feels like we just did this story a year Paige. ago yeah and then i jotted this down in my notes that's something i thought about it's just like i i just i got invested too much with Paige. yes and and the other aspect of it for me as well is don the one don promo that didn't hit the mark for me was the one last week Mm -hmm. where he was talking about like you guys aren't the same young bucks anymore and they seemed actually gotten to and like they were thinking about it it's like you guys are the tag champs in a loaded tag team division like you should not be selling this or even like considering it, but like, especially like you should not be letting this register as a character. Like you should know how good you are right now. This is, I'm, I'm not buying it. 
No. But then I watch Kenny Omega face Matt Seidel, and I enjoy every second of it. And I, yeah. I enjoy the crazy clotheslines. I enjoyed like him using his power and the shoulder checks. I like the flying knee strike up to the top rope. Like Kenny is still just an athletic freak and he is still just like a top three worker. And he's just so much fun to watch. Um, there was a moment during that match. I don't know if you caught this, but he was like, I think it was uh, Excalibur who said he's literally the same age as Kenny. Cause someone made it some, I, th- I think it was Jim Ross. Um, who said something about uh, Matt Seidel being a new young face in AEW oh, <laughs> and Excalibur no. just being like, he's literally the same age as Kenny. <laughs> that just reminds me of the uh, the Royal Rumble that one year when Carlos Colon was in it, even though he's like 42. And I think it was Gorilla <laughs> Monsoon. He's like, then Colon, the uh, fiery youngster. <laughs> he's like 40 and he looks every bit of it too. That's great. Yeah, I, I love it. Um. Anything else in this show that you thought uh, really stood out to you? Uh, it was awesome to see Laredo Kid back. Anything was with... really good. Yeah, and anything Phoenix. Phoenix is is probably my favorite wrestler to watch, bell to bell, right now. Across all promotions. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's there, nobody man. that like when they come out to the ring. I'm more like, oh, I need to fully pay attention here than him. That's interesting. I didn't think about it. I mean, AJ's always been like my. I'll just watch any AJ Styles match for the last mm-hmm. five years. Like whenever he comes out, like it just that's what a part of the reason I'm just so angry at Raw. It's just like do what they did on SmackDown for your like the house that AJ yeah. built. Just do that. What are you doing? Just let him do that. You don't have much longer with AJ Styles. Just do that. It will be good. I promise. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It drives me nuts. But that Raw is just a terrible, terrible show. Um, Andrade is gone. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. I just thought I was too. When you think about the backstage stuff and how who you're with influences certain things, that I just kind of was. Whenever the discontent was going around, and even when Selena Vega left and all that kind of stuff, and he lost his manager and everything, I was like, "Mm, I just feel like the Charlotte Flair stuff because they see her as their top woman star. That as long as those two are together, like he's going to be able to, he'll be able to figure it out. Like eventually, that's what I thought too. Like at some point there, yeah, at some point they'll give him something and he'll be undeniable. And then that'll be that. And it didn't happen. And, um, I don't know if you saw Epico who apparently is close friends with Andrade talking about, um, Andrade getting freed. And he was just tired of sitting and catering every week. And it just, it's something we don't think about with a lot of these guys, because this is so deep of a roster and it's never been this deep and just how much it sucks for these guys who are in their prime. Not the older guys, not the super young guys mm-hmm. who have time, not the Dante Martins or whoever in the world where it's like, you can sit, you can be off television. Yeah, for you can and- chill and just learn. Mm-hmm. It's like, this guy doesn't need to learn anymore. He's, no. He's and one he, of the best wrestlers in the world. He doesn't have time. Like, he's one injury away from being gone. Like, I, I totally empathize with this kind of thing where it's just like, we don't think about this kind of stuff where it's like Alistair Black and guys like that who are at the top of their game where Cody's talked about this, like 35 is your prime in professional mm-hmm. wrestling. And these guys who have spent their entire careers getting to this point, they're just like, I don't have time to waste sitting and catering. Like, this is just, I, this is not my time. If I come back 10 years from now, maybe it's different. But like, I, I every week matters. Every single week matters for me. And mm-hmm. this is just... I can't imagine the kind of mental strain that has on guys like Andrade. So I totally get that. When I, and I remember Paul like on RBR talking about how when the pandemic first started and him Paul and White's Selena and that group were doing that whole thing. He was saying, <laughs> <laughs> he 
You were saying you were saying you was like I feel like if if there was a crowd right now, like this act would be so over, and it's true. And I don't think that he would have had the chance to really fall into obscurity if like the pandemic had happened like two months later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, that's Where not how uh, diseases work. Um, the NWA. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's my favorite thing to do anytime someone leaves. To be like, yeah, what if they went to the NWA and uh, wrestled uh, Tyrus? Uh, see, I'm like torn because AEW is in the the EWR situation where you sign too many upper mid carters. I don't want them anywhere near that. It's just they don't have any room. There's no room. Uh, yeah, I and like theoretically it would be awesome, but if they just signed so many people that right now. It's just not the right time. I've been fully checked out of New Japan. New Japan has completely lost me this last year. Uh, so that's not really of any interest to me. I don't want to see him in Ring of Honor because Ring of Honor is very boring. I really think it would probably be best if he just like went and became a giant star in Mexico. And I hate saying that because I love him as a wrestler and I don't really watch Lucha, so I won't get to experience it. Um I mean, maybe if New Japan gets better, that's where I'd like to see him go. And then that way he can still do maybe some AEW here and there. He can drop in at a later date. I think that's kind of the ideal scenario. Is New Japan with a forbidden door open so that he can do other stuff? Yeah, I think it's New Japan Impact. I think it's that combination, that working relationship where he can be on both. I think that is probably a sweet spot. Interesting. Impact Impact has a void at the top of that card impact is deep in some areas they still mm-hmm. have a major void at the top and i think um it doesn't have the stink that it used to have and i just think it's somewhere where you can still work with really great talent and you can just be treated as the top guy for a little bit while you figure out what's next and also just go and work with the will ospreys of the world in new japan yeah i i will say i i think they have the worst covid tv environment it's it's just not so scary no that i i, I think if there's any way that they could almost like hold off until they are able to use a crowd again that could be that would be gigantic for them i don't know what their budget's like i don't know if they can spring form or not um but if they could it would be it would be some and there's a lot of guys that he's never wrestled over there it could really re-legitimize them as a promotion if they brought him in belted him and just used him correctly yeah and it's scott demore he's a good booker i like i like scott demore mm-hmm. Um, last thing we'll wrap up here, Maxwell, your favorite yeah. mayor Kane, uh, my mayor where I'm living right now. Still insane. Oh, he's your mayor. mayor he is my mayor. That's incredible. I did not know that Kane was your mayor. Kane is literally my mayor. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. If you watch like the local town hall stuff, it's like, it's, it's Glenn Jacob. It's just, it's wild. Um, yeah, he's going to the hall of fame. Great. Kali is going to the hall of fame. Uh, Batista seems like would have had he uh, just, but he wants like yeah. the whole, like fan experience. Um, your favorite Kane moment and your favorite Great Kali moment as we wrap up here, Maxwell. Okay, my favorite Kane moment is actually when he took his mask off mm. after after he lost to Triple H. Because um, I thought that they were going to have him be a, an actually scary burned guy. Then the next week they pivoted back and were like, oh no, it's all psychosomatic. It's like, is there something wrong with me? What did I see last week all over his face? Um, but I think that that match with Triple H, as far as his in-ring work, was probably the pinnacle of his career from like an in-ring work standpoint. That title match was awesome. 
They had the crowd biting on every near fall. Uh, they were living and dying by their every move. And that to me is when I think great memories of wrestling watching Kane, it's Kane losing to Triple H and taking off his mask. Interesting. Uh, Mine great, is Dr. Kelly, Daniel Bryan, and Kane. That was my most enjoyable but, yeah, Kane experience. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, with great Kali, uh, probably when him and Natalia came out and they did the kiss camp. No. Uh, <laughs> If if there's like a sincere one, it's probably because like so many of my favorite Kali moments are just me having irony poisoning. <laughs> uh, but it's probably the the did he wrestle Batista in the Punjabi prison match where Batista jumped from the one wall to the other? Was that against Kali? Yes. Yeah that that's it. Even though it's Batista <laughs> doing the move, uh, that that Punjabi prison match was very cool. I agree. Um punjabi prison match was and good. he had some actual good matches cena pulled some actually good matches out of him too no i think my favorite was jinder mahal just uh using him to win a match and never seeing him again after that then that just was not very following strange. it up on it like just i helped gender goodbye forever <laughs> yeah <laughs> no was there i don't remember was there like a storyline explanation for why he showed up that one time or were they just so. like oh he, he likes gender they're both from the same uh, place kind canada of. yeah they're both both canadians i'm pretty sure gender is from canada he's canadian yeah. um yeah no I, do, I don't think they ever followed it up i could be mistaken but i don't seem to recall them following up um maxwell what can uh, we check out from you at rbr this week and on the patreon yeah so uh rbr it's uh live every wednesday in the patreon or the uh, podcast goes up the following day and then we are on patreon at patreon.com slash rbr wrestling this week on patreon there's a new episode of this is your wife my podcast with my wife christina and we watched a very bad episode of raw from 1998 and uh discussed some some great fantasy booking ideas we uh created our own match types uh we created stipulations for matches it was a it was a very good time it was a hoot all right, well, go do so that. Check all that out, and then I'm on Twitter at Maxwell yeah. RBR. Absolutely, go do that. Follow Maxwell. Listen to RBR Wrestling, friends of the pod. Um, love all you guys, and uh, love the show. I will be listening as I get through NXT um, at some point tomorrow. Um, <laughs> it's usually my weekend. RBR is my weekend listening because I, I don't watch NXT until nice. like I really have to because it's just it's just too much wrestling, and I can't do AEW and NXT back to back. I also put up listening wrestling to wrestling podcast until the weekend there's too much wrestling stuff going on during the week i'll save it for saturday i i agree um maxwell always a pleasure thank you so much for making the time man no problem thanks for having me on all right we're back on the chase Thomas podcast and i am now joined by somebody who is coming off just a a just an unreal bender in celebration of Peyton Manning's birthday yesterday. It was a, a big day for him. He was wearing his Peyton Manning Tennessee jersey around his office all yesterday to prepare for this very podcast to get in the orange and white spirit. It is Jeremy Attaway of DogSports.com. Jeremy, good evening. How are you? I'm doing great, Chase. Hey, if you talk to Peyton, could you check and see if he got the gift certificate I sent? I, I sent him a certificate for a facial. Remind him not to use it all on the forehead. Yikes. Yikes. That's that's fair. A very large forehead. A very large forehead. Um, but yeah, no, we are. I'm not going to 
I'm not going to wear you down with the Harrison Bailey versus Caden Salter questions. I'm not going to wear you down with Henry Toa Toa and Crouch potentially coming back for UT this this fall. I'm not going to I'm not going to do that to you, Jeremy. Instead, I'm going to do a happier subject matter, and that is George Pickens not being around for the Georgia football team this fall. He cannot squirt any water bottles on Tennessee quarterbacks' uh, helmets this fall. It looks like. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, probably the slipperiest moment of Jared Garantano's career. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, um, George Pickens is just, he is one of the most talented Georgia receivers I think um, you guys have had in a very long time, Jeremy, and this injury kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it looks like it was a non-contact tear. I don't believe he's had surgery as of yet, is that correct? Yeah, we've we've kind of gotten uh, varying reports. Um, source we talked to close to the program uh, yesterday said that uh, he was supposed to be having surgery. Um, not exactly sure uh, that that was accurate. It seemed like a very accelerated timeline. Mm-hmm. Normally, uh, for that kind of injury, they they wait a few days, um, introduce some anti-inflammatories because you don't really want to you don't really want to operate on that that kind of of uh, knees are complicated uh, without the presence of a lot of swelling. And so normally you try to get rid of some of that edema from the injury before you go in and, and do anything surgical. Um, the the line you can usually consider is if you see a player, this is this is my advice to you uh, as someone who, who occasionally sees this kind of stuff professionally. Mm-hmm. If you see a player have surgery on an injured knee, um, you know, within two or three days of sustaining the injury, that's generally a very good sign that it's not as complicated a knee surgery as, um, you know, it, it could be. And that tends to be a, a shorter return period. Um, you know, oftentimes that's not a full thickness tear or something like that. Um, so, yeah, we don't really know at this point. Uh, Kirby Smart talked a little bit about the injury today uh, in his uh, media availability. Uh, He has not ruled out George Pickens returning at some point during the 2021 season. Uh, He actually cited Devod Wilson, uh, who's a Georgia defensive back who tore his uh, ACL during spring practice uh, in 2018 uh, and actually was able to return uh, and and played a a pretty big role in the bowl game that year. We're not sure that that's going to be the situation with George Pickens. Um, You know, frankly, uh, even if he is able to see a football field in 2021, uh, whether he actually does that um, you know, may frankly depend on what the state of affairs with Georgia's season is, uh, may depend on what he's being told about his NFL draft stock and whether he would be better served to continue to rehab um, you know, and just you know, get ready for the draft. Uh, we don't really know. Uh, it's one of a, a ton of questions we have, including the question uh, you know, that Todd Munkin gets uh, paid to solve, which is uh, how do you replace a guy like George Pickens? Yeah, and – Here's the thing. I think there's already been an overreaction, especially from Georgia fans where this guy is falling. We're like, I saw in Dog Nation, they had a headline, all the ways that George Pickens injury alters Georgia's championship hopes. Um, George Pickens is not going to be the reason uh, whether or not Georgia wins a national title next year. That is, it's not going to come out of George Pickens. This wide receiver room is incredibly deep. Um, this is not... Stetson Bennett under center. This is potentially the best quarterback in the SEC. Um, a first-round pick, potentially, depending on how next season unfolds. 
what we saw from JT Daniels when healthy down the stretch last year was like an elite, potential elite quarterback behind a good offensive line, a wide receiver room that is loaded, a tight end room that's loaded, a running back room that's loaded, a defense that's going to be loaded. Like it is there. (laughs) This team is not going to come down to um, George Pickens. And I think Todd Monken and this group are going to want to spread the ball around anyway. I think you're going to see a lot of different guys get opportunities, but also just like, Georgia has a bunch of dudes, and that's where I wanted to ask you, um, Jeremy. It's just like, how many guys do they really have? Because some of them are coming off injuries, so a lot of it has been bad injury luck, and we can get into which guys have suffered that and which guys haven't. But um, do you even think this is really all that devastating to this wide receiver room as it stands right now just because of the amount of depth that Kirby has accumulated on the recruiting trail in the last couple of years? Yeah, Chase, I got to agree with you. I think the the initial reaction was probably overblown uh, in terms of what it means, you know, long term for the season. Um, you know, Georgia's national championship hopes did not take a, a death blow with George Pickens being injured. Um, that being said, uh, you don't really replace a guy like George Pickens, right? He he's got a very unique skill set. Um, other than maybe, uh, gosh, what's the guy from Arkansas, uh, big receiver, Traylon Burks, I think mm-hmm. is his name, uh, is, is another guy who's, who's kind of in that mold, you know, big receiver, big upper body, you know, large catch radius, um, Seth Williams, great at fighting. Yeah. 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 Great at fighting for balls. And yeah. And that's what George Pickens does. Um, yeah, the, the thing that we, we sort of joke about in covering Georgia is that George Pickens is always open. Uh, and, and the reason, and the reason is because, as I think Stetson Bennett said um, earlier, uh, you know, early in the 2020 season when he was asked about it, he said, you know, we talk about throwing 50-50 balls, and he said there are no 50-50 balls with George Pickens. They're more like 80-20 balls, right? Because he just wins so many of those one-on-one battles in the air for the ball. And that's George why you targeted Kyrus Jackson so much. He was like, it's just too, yeah, too easy yeah. to go to Pickens. I got to go to the the harder routes. I got to go find Kyrus. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's uh, and really you did see Pickens struggle a lot earlier in the year uh, for the simple fact that, you know, uh, teams knew uh, in yeah. 2020 that, that he really was the biggest, uh, you know, threat that you have, especially on third downs. Um, and Kyrus Jackson really emerged as, you know, as the season went on uh, as a guy who made a lot of big third down catches. Um, you know, by the end of the year, he had, uh, I think it was probably first or second in the SEC and expected points added uh, post-catch because he just made a lot of clutch catch- catches to get George out of bad situations. Um, and that's probably, if you're Todd Munkin, you know, how you handle this. Uh, Georgia doesn't really have another you know, experienced, um, you know, split-end X receiver with George Pickens' kind of talent. You know, nobody does. That's not a piece you can add through the transfer portal. It's it's just something you lose. So I think if you're Todd Munkin, what you got to do is you've got to scheme around it. I mean, if you're it's fortunate for him that you can re-scheme things at this stage of the season, where you know, frankly, you're halfway through spring practice. Um, if you have an injury like this in mid-August, it's a huge problem. You've already installed the offense. People have worked, uh, you know, where they're going to be playing. Um, Georgia's got some time to make some some alterations to the game plan and get around that. Uh, one of the things I think they probably have to do is they, they probably have to uh, get the ball to the tight ends. I think that position takes on a lot of added significance because it's one of the ones where they actually can create some big physical mismatches like they could with Pickens. Um, you got Darnell Washington, 
You got uh, John Fitzpatrick, who are two now two veteran physical tight ends uh, who who allow you to do that. Um, so you're probably going to do that. Uh, if you're Todd Munkin, you're probably going to uh, lean a little bit on Jermaine Burton. Uh, had a big freshman year. Uh, is a guy who's not going to play uh, of the X probably at at six feet tall ish and about 195 pounds. Doesn't have that size to to post up with big corners. But, uh, you know, you work the ball toward the middle of the field with him more than you probably would have. Uh, same thing with Kyrus Jackson, who, who emerged uh, yeah, as, a, as a real threat from his split position uh, in the slot. Um, you know, that's probably what you got to do if you're Todd Munkin, is, is you just got to, you know, you got to go to playmakers that you have at other spots on the field. Um, if he's looking to replace that production, uh, you know, at the X position, um, he's probably going to have to go with somebody who's unproven. That, that's just sort of the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, George, but these are not two-star unproven guys. That's the important part here. Right, right. And that, and that's why, you know, I, I don't think you saw uh, opposing fans um, have this you know, particular outpouring of sympathy for uh, Kirby Smart and, and JT Daniels and, and Georgia fans because it's not like, yeah, it's not like they're going to be pulling anybody in out of a stand. No, it's like when Alimon lost Jalen Waddle. Yeah. It's just like, no, next man up. They're going to have options. They're, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they, they have some guys. And, uh, you know, one to keep an eye on is probably redshirt freshman Justin Robinson, a uh, guy mm-hmm. at Eagles Landing Christian, Atlanta area. Big receiver, 6'4", 220. Um, worked with Terrence Edwards, name who's familiar to Georgia yeah. fans, Georgia's all-time leading receiver. Uh, Terrence Edwards, um, uh, you know, when he was being recruited, uh, had all kinds of great things to say about Justin Robinson. Uh, said that he was a guy who he really felt could could crack the lineup early in Athens. Um, ended up played in the opener, but then redshirted uh, last year. And, and frankly, that was largely because he had some some sort of nagging injury issues in camp. Uh, and that kind of kept him from from advancing. Uh, also, just because you know he he wasn't going to unseat George Pickens. Uh, he's a guy who physically is similar, um, and he just was not going to get the snaps that George Pickens was going to, especially when Georgia was was breaking in, uh, you know, three different quarterbacks <laughs> any yeah. given time. Um, you know, just it was not the time to freelance uh, and and see what the freshman can do. Um, so, you know, with another camp behind him, I, I think Justin Robinson probably is a guy who, who can step into that role. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on is uh, Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint. Uh, he's one of those guys coming off of injury, uh, suffered a, a pretty grotesque, um, you know, fractured ankle uh, in the Florida game uh, after making a you know, big early touchdown catch. Yeah, that was a lot brutal. Of that injury. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it really sort of, you know, Georgia goes from from being up fourteen nothing with all the momentum to to watching him get carted off on an air cast, um, and that game was never really the same. Uh, but he's rehabbed that. Um, apparently, was a was an uncomplicated fracture, healed up pretty well. Um, you know, it looks like he's probably going to be able to contribute a good bit this season. He's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, I, I frankly would also keep an eye uh, on Jackson Meeks, a true freshman. Uh, out of Phoenix City, Alabama, um, a guy who I really liked as a recruit. He's sort of a late bloomer. Uh, didn't get a lot of big offers, big attention until his senior year. Um, but he's a guy who who really is a very similar player to Pickens. Um, you know, big, rangy guy, good 
um, you know, good arm length, good catch radius. Um, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to pick up uh, the offense and the nuances, um, but he's a guy who, as things start to click, you could see Georgia start to use in some of those same ways that they began to rely on George Pickens. Interesting. Um, in your estimation, if you had to guess right now, it is Thursday night, March 25th um, at 7.45. Do you think Georgia fans ever get to see George Pickens play another snap for the Georgia Bulldogs again? I do not. No, I don't I, either. I, I think yeah. that, yeah, I, I think that if, if you're Pickens and, and you have the kind of knee injury that he has, um, you know, I would be pleased as a Georgia fan to see him again because it probably means that Georgia is playing for something that he couldn't keep himself off the field for. Right. Yeah, we're, we're talking, you know, a national championship type situation where he looks at it and says, this is the only chance I'm ever going to have to contribute on a national championship team. You know, I, I'm going to do it. I, I'm going to suit up for that game. Um, so that would be great if it happens. That being said, you know, in his long-term best interest, um, George Pickens is a guy who, if he shows up for a pro day uh, in March of 2022 and he looks like his knee is in good shape, he doesn't have you know, scar tissue, he doesn't have swelling, um, you know, he's a guy who looks like he'll be able to, to show up for fall camp in 2022 for an NFL team and, and play, um, then he's a first-day draft pick. Um, yeah, there, there's no question about that. So uh, to see him play at Georgia again – yeah, you know, I think it would probably a require medical clearance, which is not a given, uh, and b it, it would require a situation where he uh, is just not going to be kept off the field, where he says, "No, I, I've got to be a part of whatever's going on on the field." Interesting. So ultimately, who do you think gets the most snaps at each position heading to the ball? We'll wrap up here. If you have to the three different spots, who do you think gets the most snaps with JT Daniels this fall? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, I'm going to start with the easiest one, which is going to be the slot. That, that's going to be Kyrus Jackson. Um, you know, I think he's probably your veteran presence there. He's also the guy who probably has a skill set that translates the least to the other slots, right? Um, you know, at 5'11", 190, you're not going to put him out there uh, replacing a George Pickens. Um, so, I, yeah, I think Kyrus Jackson remains your, your starter in the slot. Um, Jermaine Burton probably is the guy at the Y uh, on the other side. He's, you know, he's a good downfield burner. He can get across the middle of the field. Um, his underneath game is, is good. He, he's really sort of a Swiss Army knife. I think we're really just kind of uh, in the latter part of the 2020 season, we really just kind of began to see what Jermaine Burton could do. Uh, and JT Daniels really unlocked a lot of his potential with some of the throws he could make. So yeah, Jermaine Burton is probably your Y. Um, the question really is who replaces Pickens uh, at the X. Um, and I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not. I think if I had to handicap it at this point, you know, I, again, I really like Justin Robinson. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a guy just based on what I've seen him do in high school, uh, you know, what I've seen him do in some camps. Uh, he feels like a guy who, when it clicks, if he can get some confidence in what he's doing, uh, you know, could be a special ball player. All right. Well, what can we check out from you this week at dogsports.com? Well, the big thing right now, uh, stop me if you've heard this, when Georgia got a big commit today. Uh, I don't, I don't this care. Evening. I, I don't care, Jim. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want yeah. to hear about it. I just, uh, yeah, I Mal- want Henry Mal- Toto Mal- back. Starts. 
Yeah. Malachi Starks, five-star uh, player out of uh, Jefferson High School just outside of Athens, committed mm. to Georgia. He's uh, yeah, number two athlete in the country, pushes Georgia's 2022 recruiting class up to number two in the country. So uh, you can read the profile of Malachi Starks. You can also read uh, some analysis of Georgia's uh, defensive backfield and offensive line. Uh, and on our podcast, we talk about a potential impact transfer player uh, who could make an impact at safety. All right. Well, go check out all that great stuff. Um, I want to. I wish I could wish you well, but I, I, I'll never wish uh, Georgia fans well in terms of just all the success. I want everyone to be healthy and happy and prosper in this world, but I do not want Georgia football to win Georgia football games. I just, I, I, I can't do it. I can't wish that, Jeremy. I, I like you, but I can't do it. I, I just can't. It's not in my bones. I can't do it. Chase, hearing that just warm, just warms the cockles of our little hearts. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> Take care, man. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by Litterbox Cats, Francisco Aporta. Francisco, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good, Chase. Um, I'm I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I've survived the past year, that's for sure. Yeah, and you, uh, your team is not getting any referees fired for <laughs> hot mic issues, uh, from what I gather, correct? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. We're 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 doing perfectly well. Even we uh, yeah, we allow fans in the in the game and all that stuff, but we just we, we make sure that the microphones are turned off when they're mm-hmm. supposed to be turned off. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, that's still just an amazing story, um, and something that would not have happened um, pre-pandemic. Like this is something that's a a unique pandemic type thing. Um, we're going to talk about the Florida Panthers this afternoon, um, Francisco, and it's because the Panthers are interesting to me because the lightning are boring. The lightning are awesome. The hurricanes are as consistent as they always are, um, which is kind of weird at this point now, but the Panthers are right there with them. And I think they're kind of going under the radar as the Panthers typically do. But if you had to articulate why the Panthers are playing as well as they are, they have a plus, I think, 10 goal differential as of this recording. What about this team is really working this year, and why do you think they've been so under the radar? Well, as far as being under the radar, it's the Florida Panthers. We've well, we've only made the playoffs uh, about four or five times in our franchise's history. Last season was very lackluster. We got instantly removed from the bubble in the first round by the Islanders. Just it, There wasn't much love for the Panthers last year but there's a lot of love that i'm giving them this year for mm-hmm. sure and i i think one of the biggest changes is the regime change at at the gm level so over the past decade we've had dale talon at the helm for the florida panthers he did some good things I, i'm gonna I, we we all have to admit any panthers fan has to admit that he did some good things the panthers made the playoffs twice won their division twice in those 10 years but there were a lot of low points. There were a lot of low points. And aside from some of the the high draft picks that he did hit on, uh, what I would consider our big three, Aaron Ekblad, Alexander Barkov, and Jonathan Huberdeau, there wasn't much else that came up from the Florida minor league system that stuck around. And some of the guys that did struggle are 
some are flourishing elsewhere. I mean, look at Vincent Trocek, who needed a scene change as much as I would have loved for him to have stayed, but he needed a scene change and he's flourishing again out in Carolina. But the regime change of Dale Talent to Bill Zito, who just got the job this this season, coming from the Columbus Blue Jackets, he was the GM of the Cleveland Monsters in the AHL, and a hockey guy worked his way up, was an attorney, so... Uh, a dream for me. I'm a, I'm a yeah. fellow attorney, so uh, any chance to get out of the law game, I, I'll probably take it, just like Bill Zito. <laughs> and he he moved up the ranks. He was an attorney, became a sports agent, then kind of was asking around, and then found his way into the Columbus organization, and now finally got his his one of his dream jobs, a uh, general manager in the NHL, and and he brought in guys that balanced the team out, especially on a defensive front. But it was also an attitude change. And I do have to say that the biggest trade that he made that instantly won over tons of Florida fans, because there's always the 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 people who are um, a bit weary of a new regime change in the Panthers organization. There hasn't been much success. Everybody still talks about the 96 team and it's kind of getting old. For in my opinion, we kind of sound like Uncle, Uncle Rico and in Napoleon Dynamite mm. during about 1082. So he brought in he he took out Mike Matheson, mm-hmm. one of our worst contracts ever, a guy that didn't flourish as, as a defenseman, and flipped him for Patrick Hornquist from the Pittsburgh Penguins, and. The newcomers, I, I would say, are, are part of the big difference here. Patrick Hornquist, I, I have to start with giving love to this man, <laughs> this this lovely Swedish man right here. <laughs> he's He's got 25 points already in 32 games played, 12 goals, 13 assists. He's already third on the team in scoring. He's he's 34 years old, so he's one of the veteran guys on this team. The team's about average 26, 27 years old, so he's one of the, the, the old guys here, but he's brought that leadership he you know he picked up two stanley cup rings recently with the penguins and uh, he just didn't fit anymore with what the penguins were doing uh, probably cap wise as well and we flipped him from mike matheson and if you look on twitter pens fans don't like mike matheson there was a uh, a pens blog that's uh, one of the fan sites that was already throwing out the idea of changing Matheson from a defenseman to a forward. That's that's how much they, they want to get some value out of the deal. But the Panthers have already won this trade. Patrick Hornquist has brought scoring. He He's one of the those guys, he'll, he'll get into the muck. He'll go up to that front of the net and just try and score those dirty goals that Panthers fans have been looking for, a guy to do that for a while now, and he's willing to go there and do it. But it's also, there's a bit of a swagger that he brought with him too as an, an attitude adjustment because for a lot of i guess for a long time the panthers have always been pushed around by other teams not seen as as tough and this season there's a there's something there's there's some guys that have been brought in that that are changing that perception and, and Hornquist is one of them he's he's getting guys to do things that they weren't normally do like alexander barkov there was one game where barkov is he's a fantastic i mean elite level all-around player and he he's very unselfish and so he he will pass the puck to guys where you would think oh if he just shot that it would just go in he's so skilled at that and you can audibly hear Hornquist saying shoot the puck and 
Barkov listens to him and does it, and Barkov's scoring goals again, which is great. So there's that Radko Gudas, a defenseman that they brought in. His nickname is literally The Butcher. Mm-hmm. So Panthers are showing that they're willing to get these guys. I mean, he's had problems in the past disciplinary-wise with the NHL. But I'm cool with it because he's on our team now. Yeah. And I'm willing to have a guy that's there that will drop the gloves and fight anybody. But at the same time, is good at what he does. He's mm-hmm. a good defenseman. He's been playing great for them. He's uh, he's a he's a, a plus player at this moment, which is also great. So there's a new another new guy, and another one of the other pickups that came out of this Carter Verhage. So Verhage picked up a Stanley Cup ring last season with the Lightning, and he was one of those guys that he's got th- he's got uh, 24 points right now in 32 games played, 12, 12, right there, and he's he's part of the. One of the issues with being so great like the Lightning are, as boring as you think they are, mm-hmm. is... Whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say they were boring. I just... Okay. I, I am saying that them being good is boring because it's okay. just expected. That's what I, w- I was saying. It's more okay. of like, it's just an expected thing that the Lightning are good and, and just right. contending. That's they're a boring exactly, thing. Okay. They're not like the San Antonio Spurs of, of no, the NHL. No, 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 no. It's just their <laughs> okay. contention. There's nothing interesting to talk about the Lightning. It's like, yeah, they're really good. That's yeah. the end of the conversation. Oh yeah, and and now they're streaking right now, and it's mm-hmm. it's frustrating to see them so good. But uh, okay, regardless, Verhage, he was one of those guys that was. It's like he's young, but he's just buried underneath all of that talent ahead of him. So, Bill Zito signs him two year contract. Let's see what he can do. He's he he's young. He's twenty five years old, and he's flourishing in Florida, in in the the top line minutes right now. So he's and he's got him at a steal. He's one million dollars and AAV right now. So we're we've got some great production from there. And and yeah, the, that would if I had to tell you what's the difference between this year and last year, that's where I would start. Interesting. It's the new guys and Bill Zito already making an impact. And Panthers fans are happier on Twitter and elsewhere on Litterbox Cats. Which is nice to see. If this is the way the post-COVID world is going to be, I'm all for it. You haven't really mentioned Joel at all, Coach Joel. Like, um, how much credit does he deserve for being 28 and four right now? Well, I mean, he's the second best NHL coach of all time. Mm-hmm. So there's, I, but I, I still have to. First off, yes, Coach Q, pushing all the right buttons. The only wrong button he pushed was a. Uh, errant challenge that he had in one game but that's fine he's a hall of fame coach and honestly i think it's because he's got better players to work with overall and once again that's a that's a management upper management type of thing they've they've got players that are all around better fit for this team and the defense is better maybe another year with him under and you uh, the guys that were there are learning his system a lot better and and so I, I do commend Coach Q for for using these guys, utilizing them the right way, able to roll four lines for the most part. And uh, I I can't fault anything for Coach Q. I wanted him here. He's here now. And we're seeing the dividends because I don't think – what was our last coach before that? Bob Bugner? I'm not even sure. I don't think that would have happened under Bob Bugner right now for sure. So, yeah, Coach Q. Um. Unsung heroes. 
for this team this year have been who? On mm, some, well, I mean, uh, uh, Patrick Hornquist. Uh, I would say, man, Mackenzie Wegar is one of those guys that he's he came up through the Panthers system, and he's coming into his own now. He is coming into his own for sure uh, as a defenseman, right? He is probably the best defensive defenseman the Panthers have at the moment. And it's been really it's been a joy seeing him coming up from from the A all the way to the NHL and doing great. It's for, for really after last season with the defensive debacles that we did have, anybody who's remotely playing any good defense is is a welcome sight. But really, I would say the defensive core this season is I guess the unsung heroes, really, because the Panthers last season scoring wasn't an issue. Scoring wasn't an issue with the Panthers last season. I think they were about fifth or sixth in the league in scoring last season, and they're around that same area right now. They're, I think they're fifth in scoring uh, with goals four, but it was the goals allowed, and the defensive breakdowns were a plenty last season. And I, I'm just not really seeing that much this season. There, it has been greatly improved compared to last season and i think the defensive core overall has has caused them to to do this so you got Wegar, i mean ekblad of course he ekblad oh boy aaron ekblad he is uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's an unsung hero we've sung a lot of praises for him but he he's having his finest season it's it's been i've seen this and some people criticize ekblad because, I mean, he's an overall number one overall pick in 2014, and it's, and he made the All Star team his first two seasons, won the Calder Trophy his first season, but now you're seeing Aaron Ekblad becoming the complete package. He can mm-hmm. score. He's got 10 goals as of this moment, which is uh, tied for the lead in the NHL. He's he's scored 20 points. He's he's even. He's a, he's a plus player on defense, and his defensive game has has greatly improved. So he is becoming that that number one demon that can score, that can shut people down, and you can finally put him in conversations for as a Norris Trophy candidate, as one of the def- best defensive players in the in the NHL. So Aaron Ekblad's growth into an elite defenseman has been a joy to watch, and he's 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 lived up to those expectations we had prior to drafting him in 2014. Take away your fandom for a second. If you had to okay. look at this team objectively, and I know this is hard, mm-hmm. would you say that it's fair to list this group as a team that could win the cup this year? Uh, yeah, taking it away, there are some things missing from this from this team. We we definitely have to start in net. We definitely have to start in net. So there's, I would say there's goalie controversy at the moment between Sergei Bobrovsky and Chris Drieger. Of course, Bobrovsky, we signed him to that big, giant contract. He's earning the big bucks. But uh, tons of fans would say he doesn't deserve those big bucks. Now, admittedly, he's improved this uh, this March, March 2021. He has improved greatly compared to last season and he was kind of fault like faltering in the start of this season. He was winning. We were winning games, but I don't think that was because of of Bobrovsky. I think it was in, sort of in spite of him, because the defense was much better and the offense was just scoring goals. 
But there has been controversy. Chris Drieger, who was a fantastic story, just a guy that was buried in the in the AHL and the ECHL even, comes to Florida, uh, moves moves up from from uh, last season when we had Springfield as our AHL team, and came in as a as an emergency call up, and ends up staying when he starts playing incredibly well including surpassing Bobrovsky as, as a starter uh, somewhere in the, uh, in the bubble there. And this season, he's continued that. And really, there is a controversy. Drieger started 14 games. Bob has started 18. But Drieger's goals against average, 2.28. Bob's at 2.97. Save percentage. Drieger's is 9.23. Bob's at 9.03. And quality starts. Driegs at 10, Bob's at 9. Driegs has been better this so far this season. But Bobrovsky has played well this March. And I hope that it is a, like whatever was bothering him. I don't know if it was the pressure of playing up to that contract. I'm not sure. Hopefully he has found at least something of what made him a Vesna Trophy winner in the past. And he's finally doing that here in Florida. But you have to look at Chris Drieger as a legitimate goaltender and possibly someone that I would I could see Seattle coming up in the expansion draft. I could see Seattle picking them up and seeing what they can do with them. So you have to start in nets. I don't think the Panthers have that elite number one goaltender at the at this moment. You can't really say that. We don't have an Andre Vasileski for ourselves. We don't have a Carey Price. We don't have anybody like that 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 can solve that issue where they can essentially win you a game by standing on their head. Don't we just don't have that just yet. And really up and down the team, we have our big three, but recently Alexander Barkov was out against the Chicago Blackhawks, his first game that he's missed this season. And the Panthers looked lost that first period without him. It was a surprise uh, change to the lineup when he, he got, and they pulled him out of warmups, and they had to play without him. And the Panthers came back to at least bring it to a three-two score, but they—they're—we'll see what the Panthers are made of without him, and see if see where exactly the holes are. But there are holes. It's just there may not be enough top-line guys up there. Verhage, I think, is is good, but I think oh, the team is good. Overall, but I don't know if we're at that elite level where I'm just like you say with the lightning. I mean, they're ahead of us and we recently we played against them and I like the way we've played against the lightning this season. I think we've stood toe to toe with them. Things are getting really chippy between these two teams. There could possibly be the first time ever a playoff matchup between the Florida and Tampa Bay. So I but I, I don't know if we could beat them in a seven-game series for sure. And the Carolina Hurricanes have been the Panthers' Achilles heel this season. We have not won a game against them for, for whatever reason. So they're they're just not – they're not there yet. They're not there. Maybe they've got about $9 million in cap space. Maybe if they try and pick up maybe another, another forward out there that can help them score. They've got a lot of young guys for sure that are trying to prove themselves – on one or two year deals and maybe there is an answer there if they can flourish but i can't say that we are 
going to win the cup outside of an insane hot streak or Driggs or Bob wills us there. And there I am unbiased. I like it. No, that's good. Um, Last thing as we wrap up here today, um, what do you think ultimately happens? What, what is your gut telling you as of 423 on March 25th? What is your gut telling you about the end of the season for the Florida Panthers? Well, the Florida Panthers will make the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> that's that's always one of the things, man, in, in a league where half the teams make the playoffs, the Panthers find a way to make it very difficult to do that. But mm-hmm. they will make the playoffs this season. But outside of – if they can somehow win this division and face off against Chicago, possibly at a four seed, they could make it past the first round. But – I can't say that we could beat Tampa or Carolina if we had to match up against them in the seven-game series to get past the first round. Uh, as of now, as of now, maybe there could be a trade that could change that, or maybe somebody steps up, and, and or maybe we get hot at the right time. However, I just can't see them getting past the first round, matching up against Carolina or Tampa. All right. I like it. This is uh, going to be fun. I'm interested to see how things unfold this spring in Tampa. Francisco, what can, uh, in Tampa, in Florida, uh, Francisco, what can we check out from you across the internet this week? Okay. So I have my own podcast called Sports Goofs. Me and three buddies from law school, we decided to keep in touch and talk about sports, video games, and food for two hours and see if anybody wants to listen to that disaster so but we've gotten some guests on there from the sports media world so you can check that out and i'm also marlin's historian at marlin's history on twitter as well so i I talk about the the miami marlins florida marlins and and i know you're an atlanta braves fan is Mm -hmm. that correct chase yes yeah so eric Gregg did nothing wrong in Mm. game five of the nlcs (laughs) and of course litterbox cats please check us out sb nation we cover all of the Panthers games uh, with recaps each and every game. And I do all of the graphics work for them because I do graphic design on the side as well. So I'm um, a jack of all trades, if you can say that, really. <laughs> so. All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work, sir. Um, thank you so much for making the time today. I greatly appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Chase, for, for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.